kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday. It's wow. It's one minute after six. Wow, we started perfect timing tonight. Um, and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. With me tonight is the bubbly and vivacious Miss Jeannie K. How are you, Miss Jeannie? That good? No. How about muted microphone? Hi, Jeannie. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jeannie. And the best producer money can't buy. Very. How are you this evening? Oh, tired. I've, I've, I've got a job. Ah. Well, no, it's called playing Eve online. <laughs> Basically like having a job. I don't... What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's one of the most complex computer games in existence. Okay. And when you play it, it's, it's, it is like having a job. Oh, you know, I... <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> Social media has disturbed me so much lately that I would probably be better off watching somebody play a video game. <laughs> um, they would make me just as nauseous. I don't know. Some of them, some of them are pretty good. Some of the games... No, they make me sick. To, this, all this, this first person... I can't even watch Bernie on his PlayStation because the screen makes me sick to my stomach. Oh, one of my favorite streamers did a full playthrough of the new Doom game on the day of oh. release. Took him 12 and a half hours to finish it. <laughs> that is a committed Doom player. I, I don't know. I didn't really like Doom. Um, <laughs> it's I, I very did, gory. Yeah. Well, and it's not the gory. I just think they didn't do as good a job with it the first one as they could have. Uh, no, this one's very good. Is it? Yes. I watched oh, him playing some of it. Well, that will be a change. Um, Alex will be on about 7 with the Kazaa update, just so we're all on the same page. I know there are a lot of people that don't come in until then. So I figured I would let you know, because um, unless, <laughs> unless you're in this chat to hear hard news, you're not going to have a good time. Um, and it's going to piss you off, because I already sent Jan, Jan a Skype message that went, Ah! I'm trying to figure out which part you're maddest about. Oh, the fucking school. See, the school. I, I cheat. I don't read it in advance. Oh. I, I listen along. <laughs> I, need, I need to stop doing it. 
Well, then fine. I should just give it to you like 10 minutes before we go on air. <laughs> then you can just be surprised and angry. No, because then you say, you know, well, did you read this story? And I don't want to lie. And I don't want to be an asshole and say, uh, no. True. Okay, so I said one of the things we we're going to talk about tonight was um, cops using stingrays for the most dangerous of crimes. <laughs> this one's <laughs> kind of pathetically funny, but... Cops deploy Stingray anti-terror technology against $50 chicken wing thief. Police in Maryland, United States, used a controversial cell phone tracking technology intended only for the most serious of crimes to track down a man who stole $50 worth of chicken wings. Police in Annapolis, an hour's drive from the heart of the government in Washington, D.C., used a Stingray cell tower simulator in an effort to find the location of a man who had earlier robbed a pizza bally employee of 15 chicken wings and three sandwiches, total worth $56.77. In that case, according to the police log, a court order was sought and received, but in many other cases across the United States, the technology is being used with minimal oversight, despite the fact that it is only supposed to be used in the most serious cases, such as terrorism. Stingray devices work by impersonating cell phone masks so nearby phones connect to them and automatically hand over their unique ID numbers, allowing investigators to track the handsets and their owners by location. Annapolis police never found the thief, but he represented just one of 17 occasions on which the city of 40,000 people used the device in 2011. Its use is far more prevalent in larger cities. The Philip Merrill College of Journalism's Capital News Service found that Maryland State Police had used a stingray at least 125 times since 2012. Howard County, which lies to the south of Baltimore with a population of 30,000, has used a stingray 129 times since 2011. The police in Baltimore City have used a stingray an extraordinary 4,300 times since 2007, sparking an investigation and review of 2,000 of them. New York has used its stingray more than 1,000 times since 2008. Restrictions there are strict restrictions on the use of these devices because it sucks up information on any mobile phones in the area, raising privacy concerns. It is also capable of effectively shutting down a specific phone, forcing it to be reset, or causing a service blackout in an area. An outcry over the enormous use of the device by the Baltimore City Police led to a change in the law that regulated cops to get a court order before carrying out surveillance, except in extreme circumstances. But even with that law in place, information remains very limited on where and for what the devices are used and what is done with any data gathered. The lack of a federal law also means that the rules around stingray use vary widely across the country with some states, including California, placing strict limitations on it and others requiring minimal justification from law enforcement. Efforts to find out how extensively the technology is being used have also run into a wall of secrecy, but the devices themselves often provided to local law enforcement by the FBI who have gone to extraordinary lengths to keep details of their use quiet and also required law enforcers to sign a confidentiality agreement before being allowed to use the device. In a growing number of cases, people accused of a large range of crimes from minor to serious have seen their cases dropped or their sentences reduced after stingray evidence has been removed in order to keep details secret, with prosecutors often citing national security. Black box. Defense attorneys across the country are increasingly looking to see if police have used a stingray device against their clients. Even in cases where the individual in question admits their guilt, many question whether the use of technology that is supposed to be rolled out only in the most serious of circumstances are appropriate for minor thefts. Other questions, the high cost. 
Howard County spent at least $452,000 on its system since 2011. Annapolis Police received $185,000 worth of a grant to cover its use. Other counties have reported spending an average of $25,000 for their versions, some of which is on acquiring equipment and some annual maintenance contracts and upgrades. When it does acknowledge the existence of the technology, law enforcement often cites important cases where it has helped solve serious crimes, including kidnapping and armed robbery. However, the fact that it was used to track down a man who had stolen $50 worth of food and the ongoing lack of transparency and justification for stingray use across the country continues to worry both public defenders, privacy advocates, and legislators. Thoughts? Coming next week, story about school bully trucked down for taking <laughs> dinner money. <laughs> the school called in a stingray. The FBI and the NSA. <laughs> the FBI and the NSA. Crime prevention buddies. <clears throat> yeah, and their wonderful ma magical stingray. Genie, anything? I mean, besides the fact that it's funny. It's pathetically funny. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, hey, um, if they can catch chicken wing thieves, um, <laughs> that should tell us that um, our streets are now safe because <laughs> the big bad guys have been taken care of. And unfortunately, that's just not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they've sorted the chicken wing issue, can they now concentrate on who's taking all the chicken breasts? <laughs> you or, know, they, oh, couldn't just even, <laughs> they couldn't even catch the guy. We we have had numerous heroin overdoses in this little bitty small town. Sure. Numerous. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, personally, I would prefer that they focused on the heroin dealers. Right. Um. Yeah, because the, these people are, these, they're, they're killing people. Um, I'll give them the fucking chicken wings. <laughs> I think it's pretty sad. I do. Um, I think it's sad that the technology is being misused in such a way. And I think it's sad that it's being given to such small police departments. And I think the police departments almost feel a need to use the equipment. You know. That's, that's part of it. They've been right. given this and told... You need to learn how to use this. Use this. So yeah, they'll just be using it for everything. Yeah, you know. And I, I think that's kind of ridiculous. Best um, bit is the guy who stole the chicken wings <laughs> probably didn't even have a phone. <laughs> probably not. I mean, if he's that good of a grifter, he probably knows that it's a danger. Especially since it's kind of big news that they've been overused. I, I mean, Pe people who tend to randomly steal cheap food items tend not to have electronics on their person <laughs> true they tend to be riding a bicycle um yeah. and, or walking <laughs> uh yeah no i i absolutely agree with you on that so yeah um it seems like a, a case of uh, stupidity overuse <laughs> i don't know so i said i was going to do three stories about the fbi tonight Let's get started. FBI has sites on larger battle over encryption after Apple feud. After buying a software tool to access a dead terrorist encrypted iPhone, the FBI is exploring how to make broader use of the hack while bracing for a larger battle involving encrypted text messages, emails, and other data, Director James Cormery, the man who lives in Never Neverland, said. 
The tool used to get into the phone by used by get into the phone used by Saeed Rizwan Farouk, who with his wife carried out a deadly December attack in San Bernardino, California, could in theory be used in any case where there's a court order to access data on an iPhone 5C running Apple's iOS 9 operating system, Cormery told reporters in Washington on Wednesday. However, accessing the content on a phone known as data at rest is only part of the challenge that encryption poses for U.S. investigators. Software applications and other services that encrypt text, emails, and other information in transit over the Internet, known as data in motion, are hugely significant, especially for national security investigations, Cormery said. The data at rest problem affects non-national security law enforcement overwhelmingly, Cormery said. The data in motion, at least today, overwhelmingly affects our national security work. Terrorists and their fellow travelers are increasingly, Cormery said, criminals that are increasingly using services that encrypt data in motion. And he didn't rule out litigation against companies such as Facebook Inc.'s mobile messaging service, WhatsApp, which has more than 1 billion subscribers worldwide. WhatsApp has been embroiled in a legal dispute in Brazil with judges twice in the last six months temporarily ordering the service blocked for failing to turn over data in response to court orders. A Facebook executive in Brazil was also detained in March for allegedly failing to cooperate with orders. WhatsApp has over a billion customers, overwhelmingly good people, Cormery said, but in that billion customers are terrorists and criminals. And so now that ubiquitous feature of all WhatsApp products will affect both sides of the house. Cormery said he doesn't have plans to bring a legal case against WhatsApp. Whether there will be litigation down the road, I don't know, he said. Hacking tool. The FBI served Apple with a court order in February, compelling the company to help break into an encrypted iPhone used by Farouk. Apple resisted and the FBI dropped the case last month, saying it bought a tool from a private entity it hadn't identified to break into the phone. State and local law enforcement agencies say they have hundreds of encrypted iPhones that could use the FBI they could use the FBI's help getting into. From October 2015 to March of this year, New York City police have been locked out of 87 Apple devices, I'm sorry, 67 Apple devices lawfully seized during investigations into 44 violent crimes including murders, rapes, and the shootings of two police officers. Thomas Galati, chief of the New York City Police Department's Intelligence Bureau, told the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee last month the FBI is trying to figure out how to allow law enforcement around the country with court orders to be able to use our tool, Cormery said. It's tricky, he said, because using the tool to help state and local criminal investigations could mean that it would have to be reversed in a court order proceeding if there isn't a procedure in place to prohibit testimony about how it works. If we use it in a criminal case in such a way that it becomes a feature of the litigation, the nature of that tool may be exposed and its utility may be significantly decreased, Cormery said. I expect in the near future we'll have figured out how we're going to do it, he said. Then we'll tell local law enforcement, if you send us a phone, here are the rules using end-to-end encrypted apps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what's up with the FBI not wanting to give us the username of the eBay user they bought the device off of? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there a high street shop that sells this shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess they figure people can't put two and two together. And yeah, oh, we'll, we'll help all these police departments. Do they not know how eBay works either? <laughs> they might not have the money. Although, you know, they the, might. The one, since the one a UK, a UK journalist forfeiture. managed to get one for, I think it was £90. So about 100 and. <laughs> 
50 60 dollars it would be yeah so i mean yeah <laughs> we right. have the secret technology what the well, people can just go and buy yeah. you know what i like it i i love that they make themselves sound like they're the x-men or something yeah. <laughs> we're gonna unleash wolverine on you and you can't do a damn thing about see, it com com <laughs> uh, comry uh yeah i mean he's only doing this because his unicorn told him to that's my theory <laughs> he really does live in a magical wonderland where you know the government makes everything better um yeah uh we don't live in the same land i would say Jeannie, thoughts anything on this or no no I, uh... okay things just get more moronic <laughs> well i think what's kind I'm of the point where i think that we've got a lot of really smart people mm -hmm. that when they entered college <laughs> first thing they did was kill off their common sense I don't know if they had any to begin with, but I will say I'm comforted by one thing. The more we do the show, the more I'm absolutely convinced that the people in charge are fucking idiots. And the bigger I, government I have gets, said it before. the stupider they you, get. Yes. You enter public service and apparently have a lobotomy. <laughs> that is absolutely true. It is amazing to me the stupidity these people get up to. And because they're stupid... They're also dangerous, which leads me to FBI story number two. The FBI is secretly storing your biometric data, and there's nothing you can do about it. The FBI doesn't want Americans knowing if their biometric data is stored in its next generation identification system, replete with finger and palm prints, iris and facial scans. And despite concerns from privacy and civil liberties groups that the Bureau is collecting this information through unsavory means, it can keep those means secret. On May 5th, the Justice Department submitted a notice of proposed rulemaking to the Federal Register publicly exempting the Federal Bureau of Investigations and GI system from several provisions of the Privacy Act, which requires federal agencies to share a subject's files so the information can be verified or corrected. According to the submission, the FBI seeks exemption because disclosing the information that exists could interfere with the Bureau's ability to detect, deter, and prosecute crimes. Why then, nearly two years after the current version of NGI was implemented, has the Justice Department now made this submission to the Federal Register? It's possible that someone woke up and realized they needed to do this in order to bring their actions that they were already carrying out into conformity with the law, says Jay Stanley, a senior policy analyst at the American Civil Liberties Union. It is a remarkable collection of data on Americans, and that's potentially a lot of power to concentrate into one place. But almost a year ago, William McKinsey, the FBI section chief in charge of next generation identification, told me, we absolutely comply with the Privacy Act down to the letter. So what gives? According to Christopher Allen, an FBI spokesman, the Bureau's proposal was merely a formality, as the Privacy Act already contains exemptions for intelligence and law enforcement agencies' record systems. But if an agency tends to apply a rule, Allen explains, it is required to state so on the record. The exemptions taken for NGI are largely the same as those taken for most FBI systems of record, Allen adds, though he declined to comment on the timing of the latest submission. 
Trying to read the Privacy Act, particularly the exemptions, is akin to trying to decipher the Rosetta Stone. The circular contradictions and double negatives are enough to make one dizzy. But regardless of whether the FBI is correct and is exempt from the Privacy Act provisions, its interpretation of how it is bound by the federal law is likely to go into effect. The reason? The proposal is open to public comment for about 30 days following its submission, after which the DOJ will submit its final rule on its own proposal, or as Jay Stanley of the ACLU puts it, and then does whatever it wants. To some, the idea of law enforcement having their biometric data in an impenetrable database may cause a little concern. I've nothing to hide is off the argument, but inaccurate federal records have the power to negatively affect lives, says Stanley, such as when the FBI's National Crime Information Center falsely identified one Maryland woman as unsuitable for a low-level security clearance, costing her a job. It is a remarkable collection of data on Americans, and that's potentially a lot of power to concentrate in one place, Stanley says. There was questions about accuracy, which are now even sharper. This saga began nearly a decade ago when the FBI struck a $1 billion contract with Lockheed Martin, the Mammoth Security and Aerospace Corporation. Lockheed won the bid to overhaul the Bureau's seemingly antiquated Integrated Automated Fingerprint Identification System, IAFIS, and overlay with the biometrics caravan known as NGI. The upgrades were done in increments. Lockheed replaced the hardware in 2010 and revamped the fingerprint algorithm the following year, but in 2014 the FBI announced that the final component was complete, its facial recognition system. One of our biggest concerns about NGI has been the fact that it will include non-criminal as well as criminal face images, Jennifer Lynch, a senior staff attorney with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, wrote in 2014, and you could be implicated as a criminal suspect. When presented with Lynch's concern nearly a year ago, Stephen Morris, assistant director of the FBI's Criminal Justice Information Systems Division, insisted that the face pictures we maintain in NGI are mugshot photographs. They come from the time of arrest. But in another document, the System of Records Notice, published concurrently with the proposal on May 5th, the Justice Department writes that the NGI system covers individuals have provided biometrics, e.g. palm prints, facial images, for purposes including employment, licensing, military service or volunteer service, and immigration benefits, alien registration, naturalization, or other government benefits. Having criminal and non-criminal facial images floating around in the same system is troubling, according to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, especially when one considers the quality of the images being fed into NGI and the system's accuracy promises. NGI is not designed to make a single positive match when biometric data is inputted to identify its human source. As Ilbers of Lockheed told me last year when it ran NGI side-by-side -side with its legacy systems for five days, NGI identified 910 additional matches that the old system did not identify. According to documents obtained by the EFF, the FBI only ensures that the candidate will be returned in the top 50 candidates, 85% of the time when the candidate exists in the gallery. As many of the outlets have noted, this accuracy rate pales in comparison to Facebook's Deep Face system, which boasts a 97% positive match score. The nation's most powerful law enforcement agency is getting outgunned by a social network, The Verge wrote. Last summer, Morris of the FBI offered the following response. Our ability to use facial recognition technology is strictly monitored and regulated, but when you talk about the commercial industry folks, they're governed by one thing, and that's their bottom line, just because it worked. 
he added, doesn't mean we can use it. And just because low-resolution images work in NGI, EFF suggests, doesn't mean they should be used. In setting up the NGI, the FBI partnered with many state DMVs using licensed headshots to put the new facial recognition system to the test. Yes, there's a law enforcement exemption in the Driver's Policy Protection Act, too. When accessing Oregon's facial images for quality purposes, examiners reviewed 14,408 images and found significant problems with image resolution, lighting, background, and interference, EFF writes. Examiners also found that the medium resolution of images was well below the recommended resolution of 0.75 megapixels. In comparison, newer iPhone cameras are capable of 8 megapixel resolution. Having criminal and non-criminal face images floating around in the same system is troubling. The imprecision could lead to false charges, the rate of which may only increase as the database grows. Morris of the FBI said last summer, we have about 24 million images in our interstate photo file in NGI. This year, according to Stephen Fisher Jr., Chief of Multimedia Productions for the FBI CGIS, the number has grown to 26 million. With great power comes great need for checks and balances, says Stanley of the ACLU. And what we're seeing here, instead of great checks and balances being built into commensurate with the power of this database, we're seeing the FBI seeking to wiggle out of such checks and balances. But the FBI says it's doing no such thing. Last year, for instance, Morris of the FBI said the NGI was built for scalability purposes, meaning new measurable biometrics could be added at any time. Let's say three, four, five years down the road, there's a new biometric modality, he added. Whether that's DNA, iris scans, voice recognition, or anything like that, the FBI would have to go through the same privacy consideration that led it to be able to use the facial recognition in NGI, for instance. And in regard to the FBI's latest proposal, Allen at the FBI adds that the Bureau may choose to waive its exemptions in order to disclose information, that is, as long as it would not compromise law enforcement or national security efforts. Well, it's not a new thing. I have to say the Stasi, I mean, yeah, the, the FBI <laughs> have been collecting biometric data on people since the 50s. Yeah, 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 and shut they up. don't throw it away. These bastards should not have this stuff. I have not yeah. committed a fucking crime. Right? I think yeah. that it's absolutely ridiculous that a lot of states now are requiring your fingerprints for you to get a fucking driver's license. That's well, bullshit. You know, once, once we kind of started carrying our phones with us and living in public on camera 24-7, this was kind of the natural result of things. But I'm not on camera 24-7. Okay. I, to be on camera, I, do, I do a video show. And I mean, and that's, that's the thing. <laughs> All these kids are growing up in this technology age where they're posting five pictures, and this is a very, very low estimate. Mm -hmm. They're posting five pictures a day on sure. the internet somewhere. Right. I told my niece one time that she needed to stop putting her entire life on Facebook because somebody could kidnap her ass and we would know she was missing for a month so long as they kept putting up her where she's stopping for coffee post. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the distinction, isn't it? There well, are younger you, people... you might get a little suspicious, maybe. I don't know what she's like. <laughs> if, if there was a selfie with her with handcuffs. 
on a gog. Yeah. Well, that kind of depends on who it is. Yeah. Oh. Um, I mean, shit that people share now. Right, you know, right. I mean, I've I've got. Uh, that's another. That's a whole other story. But back on on this subject, um, right. all of this biometric data is is ridiculous, and people are freely just giving it away, and they do it saying, "Well, I don't have anything to be afraid of." Well, well, I mean, you, was you it? don't until something scary <laughs> happens someplace, and they fingerprint the place, and because you had lunch there three fucking weeks ago, yeah. You're hoping to be questioned because your fingerprints were at such and such a restaurant that was held up. I don't know whether what disturbs me more, the biometric data, the quantum cookies, or the pre-crime thing that they keep implementing. <laughs> I re I've got to tell you, it all feels like minority report to me. Like, I feel like literally there are days I wake up and I'm in a Philip K. Dick novel. It's not cool thinking like that, you know? Um, it's funny because Philip K. Dick used to wake up thinking he was in Philip K. Dick novels. Of course he did. But I'm he just had saying, issues. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't have issues. I'm perfectly sane. But I will say up until about... Up until about Edward Snowden released his massive treasure trove documents, all this stuff would just get you labeled a nut... You were a loon. You were crazy. This couldn't possibly happen. Your government wouldn't do this to you. Do we still feel the same now? I would say the answer is no. I think now people believe their government is capable of just about anything. And you should. Um, you should always be wary of what they're doing. And what they're doing with your information. Because oh, and 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 as a note, yes. yeah, it was mentioned in that story. Mm -hmm. Whatever the government's doing, yeah, they're, already they're, doing they're it. usually five, six years behind the private corporations. Yeah, which is even worse. So, <clears throat> back to the FBI yet again, because there's nothing I like more than a, a happy trilogy. FBI hid surveillance devices around Alameda County Courthouse, but it's not just Alameda County. It's a bunch of courthouses all over California, and this stuff was hidden out in the open, y'all. Uh, federal agents placed hidden microphones and conducted secret video surveillance at Alameda County's Renee C. Davidson Courthouse for 10 months, despite having no court warrant. Their surveillance operation was part of an investigation into an alleged bid rigging at a foreclosed property auctions where thousands of houses and apartment buildings were sold by banks. But defense attorneys for some of the individuals accused say the FBI surveillance techniques violated their clients' constitutional rights and everyone else whose conversations might have been captured on tape. One of the people recorded by the hidden surveillance devices was Michael Marr, the East Bay landlord who's at the center of the feature story this week in the edition of The Express. Marr and his business associates frequently attended the foreclosure auctions. They bought hundreds of properties, many of them in Oakland, but were indicted in November 2014 on charges that they conspired to rig auctions. Marr's case is now being heard in the federal court. He has pleaded innocent. Some of the government's case against Marr and his associates is based on evidence gathered using secret microphones at Renee C. Davidson Courthouse and also in the Contra, 
Contra Costa County Courthouse in Martinez. At the Renee C. Davidson Courthouse in Oakland, the FBI placed hidden microphones inside light fixtures on the courthouse's exterior steps to capture the conversations of people attending the foreclosure auctions. Cameras and microphones were installed in parked Alameda County vehicles next to the courthouse. The FBI even hid a microphone in the AC Transit bus stop on Fallon Street and dropped a bugged backpack next to a statue inside the courthouse, according to a letter sent by U.S. Justice Department attorney Kate Patchison to Mars' attorney on March 15th. The surveillance was ongoing from March 2010 to January 2011. In Martinez, the FBI planted microphones in bushes at a bus stop on a pole and inside parked and roving vehicles near the auction site. Mars' attorneys argue that the surveillance amounted to an illegal search that violated Fourth Amendment rights of anyone whose voice might have been recorded. The recording may have also violated Title III of the Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act 1968, otherwise known as the Wiretap Act. Title III bars the interception and recording of private conversations, even those which may have been conducted in a public space. Mars' attorneys are arguing that any evidence derived from the recording should be thrown out. Speaking in a public place does not mean the individual has no reasonable expectation of privacy, Mars' attorney wrote in a March 23rd motion to Judge Phyllis Hamilton. Calling the surveillance operation Dragnet Electronic Eavesdropping, Mars' attorney said the sensitive conversations of other persons unconnected with the foreclosure auctions may have been recorded. Private affairs are routinely discussed as citizens, their lawyers, and even judges walk to and from the court, and lawyers often take clients outside the courthouse for privileged conversations, they wrote. The same type of warrantless eavesdropping was revealed last year in San Mateo County, where FBI agents conducted a nearly identical investigation into bid ringing at foreclosure auctions that resulted in the collection of 200 hours of audio and video recordings. In the San Mateo case, defense attorneys are arguing not only should evidence contained in the recordings be thrown out, but they should also have the ability to challenge other tainted evidence that might have been obtained as a result of the information government got from the recordings. What's more, the defense attorneys in the San Mateo case say they believe the federal agents committed felonies when they placed the bugs. Facing this challenge, government prosecutors in San Mateo have moved to withdraw the recordings as evidence at trial, but the defense has called this move an attempt by the FBI to cut its losses and sweep its criminal conduct under the rug. Similarly, federal prosecutors have said they don't intend to use the recordings made at Alameda County Courthouse against Marr in his trial, but Marr's attorneys are seeking to throw out all evidence that might be linked to the recordings. Yeah. <sighs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly I think, I think um well and see jan you're probably going to be upset by this but i really think that courthouses uh should have a sign um on all the doors when you walk in that says these premises under video and audio surveillance um at all times and i think that there should be the same way as there is when you speak with your lawyer in jail, um, there should be rooms for you to go into to have private conversation. Um, so the general citizen was just walking up the county courthouse steps talking well, to when, his girlfriend walk, on his cell phone and has no realistic expectation of privacy? But when you walk into that courthouse building, you know that you are being recorded inside of that building. Um, right, but 
don't. I, all right, I don't have a problem with inside the building. I have a problem with the outside of the building. I have a problem with the outside of the building, too. That's where I have the real problem. I mean, as a government building, they can do pretty much as they wish because they're going to anyway. Well, I and mean, the thing is, tell me that you're doing it. I, You know, I kind of agree on that. But I really have a problem with the outside, with the light fixtures, with the outdoors. That's ridiculous. And I completely agree with that. That is a violation of everyone's privacy, not just people being brought to trial. I have a problem with the license plate readers, too. So, you know, there's that. I have a lot of problems with a lot of shit the government does. That's, um, that's just the least of them. But the FBI figured pretty prominently this week. So I figured, you know, why not put the spotlight on them? They obviously want it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, otherwise there wouldn't be so many stories about them in the news. The FBI have a fine history of breaking law as long as they've been in existence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's kinda true. Um should I let Jeannie rant now or later? Or do we want to talk about Larry Summers? Let's talk about Larry Summers. Really? No, not really. <laughs> okay. You you can just do the school thing and get it over with because I'm just irate over that no no we'll we'll talk about larry summers and i'll get irate okay um i remember talking about this a bunch of times and, and telling people you really wouldn't believe it until you heard it so this was written by larry uh greg palast he wrote it for vice magazine in 2013 and no one in america would touch this story Greg Palast and I have a lot of ideological differences, um, just like I have a lot of ideological differences with, you know, Glenn Greenwald or, or any reporter. But, you know, he's right on this one. Larry Summers and the Secret Endgame Memo. When a little birdie dropped... The, okay, this is from August 22, 2013. When a little birdie dropped the Endgame Memo through my window... Its content was so explosive, so second plain evil, I just couldn't believe it. The memo confirmed every conspiracy freak's fantasy that in the late 1990s, the top U.S. Treasury officials secretly conspired with the small cabal of banker big shots to rip apart financial regulation across the planet. When you see 26.3% unemployment in Spain, desperation and hunger in Greece, riots in Indonesia, and Detroit in bankruptcy, go back to this endgame memo, the genesis of the blood and tears. The Treasury officials playing the banker secret endgame was Larry Summers. Today, Summers is Barack Obama's leading choice for chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve, the world's central bank. If the confidential memo is authentic, then Summers shouldn't be serving in the Fed. He should be serving hard time in some dungeon reserved for the criminally insane of the finance world. The memo is authentic. To get that confirmation, I would have to fly to Geneva and wrangle a meeting with the Secretary General of the World Trade Organization, Pascal LeMay. When I did, LeMay, the generalissimo of globalization, told me the World Trade Organization was not created as some dark cabal of multinational secretly cooking plots against the people. We don't have cigar-smoking rich crazy bankers negotiating. Then I showed him the memo. It begins with Summer's flunky Timothy Geithner reminding his boss to call me. I'm sorry, to call the most powerful CEOs on the planet and get them to order their lobbyists to march. 
As we enter the end game of the WTO financial services negotiations, I believe it would be a good idea for you to touch base with the CEOs. To avoid Summers having to call his office and get the phone numbers, which under U.S. law would have to appear on public logs, Geithner listed their private lines. And here they are. This is from 2013. Goldman Sachs, John Corzine, he's in the slammer. Good place for him. 212-902-8281. Merrill Lynch, David Kamansky, 212-499-6868. Bank of America, David Coulter, 415-622-2255. Citibank, John Reed, 212-559-2732. Chase Manhattan, Walter Shipley, 212-270-1380. Larry was right. They don't smoke cigars. Go ahead and dial them. I did. And sure enough, got a cheery personal hello from Reed until I revealed I wasn't Larry Summers. Note, the other numbers were swiftly disconnected, and Corzine can't be reached while he faces criminal charges. It's not the little cabal of confabs held by Summers and the bankers that's so troubling. The horror is the purpose of the end game itself. Let me explain. Sorry, I have to take a drink. This is long. The year was 1997. U.S. Treasury Secretary Robert Rubin was pushing the hard to deregulate banks. That required first repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act to dismantle the barrier between commercial banks and investment banks. It was like replacing bank vaults with roulette wheels. Second, the banks wanted the right to play with a new high-risk game, derivatives trading. J.P. Morgan alone would soon carry $88 trillion of these pseudo-securities on books as assets. Deputy Treasury Secretary Summers, soon to replace Rubin as secretary, body-blocked any attempt to control derivatives. But what was the use of turning U.S. banks into derivatives casinos if money would fly to nations with safer banking laws? The answer, conceived by the top five, eliminate controls on banks in every nation on the planet in one single move. It was as brilliant as it was insanely dangerous. How could they pull off this mad caper? The bankers in Summer's game was to use the Financial Services Agreement, an obtruse and benign addendum to the international trade agreements policed by the World Trade Organization. Until the bankers began their play, the World Trade Agreements dealt simply with trading goods, that is, my cars for your bananas. The new rules, ginned up by Summers and the banks, would force all nations to accept trade in bads, toxic assets like financial derivatives. Until the bankers' redraft of FSA, each nation controlled and chartered the banks within their own borders. The new rules of the game would force every nation to open their markets to Citibank, J.P. Morgan, and their derivatives' products. And all 156 nations in the World Trade Organization would have to smash down their own Glass-Steagall divisions between commercial savings banks and the investment banks that gamble with derivatives. The job of turning the FSA into the bankers' battering ram was given to Geithner, who was named ambassador to the World Trade Organization. Bankers go bananas. Why in the world would any nation agree to let its banking system be boarded and seized by financial pirates like J.P. Morgan? The answer in the case of Ecuador was bananas. Ecuador was truly a banana public, republic. The yellow fruit was the nation's life and death source of hard currency. If it refused to sign the new FSA, Ecuador could feed its bananas to the monkeys and go back into bankruptcy. Ecuador signed and so on with every nation bullied into signing. Every nation but one, I should say. Brazil's new president, Indico Lula de Silva, refused. 
In retaliation, Brazil was threatened with a virtual embargo of its products by the European Union's Trade Commissioner, one Peter Mandelson, according to another confidential memo I got my hands on. But Lulu's refusenik stance paid off for Brazil, which alone, among Western nations, survived and thrived during the 2007-2009 banking crisis. China signed on, but got its pound of flesh in return. It opened its banking sector as a crack in return for access and control of the U.S. auto parts and other markets. Swiftly, 2 million U.S. jobs shifted to China. The new FSA pulled the lid off the Pandora's box of worldwide derivatives trade. Among the notorious transactions legalized, Goldman Sachs, where Treasury Secretary Rubin had been co-chairman, worked a secret euro derivative swap with Greece, which ultimately destroyed that nation. Ecuador, its own banking sector deregulated and demolished, exploded into riots. Argentina had to sell off its oil companies to the Spanish and water systems to Enron, while its teachers hunted for food in garbage cans. Then bankers gone wild in the Eurozone drove headfirst into derivatives pools without knowing how to swim, and the continent is now being sold off in tiny, cheap pieces to Germany. Of course, it was not just threats that sold the FSA, but temptation as well. After all, every evil starts with one bite of an apple offered by a snake. The apple, the gleaming piles of lucre hidden in the FSA for local elites. The snake was named Larry. Does all this evil and pain flow from a single memo? Of course not. The evil was the game itself, as played by the banker Click. The memo only revealed their game plan for checkmate. And the memo reveals a lot about Summers and Obama. While billions of sorry souls are still hurting from worldwide banker-made disaster, Rubens and Summers didn't do too badly. Rubens' deregulation of banks permitted the creation of a financial monstrosity called Citigroup. Within weeks of leaving office, Rubin was named director, then chairman of Citigroup, which went bankrupt while managing to pay Rubin a total of $126 million. Then Rubin took on another post, as a key campaign benefactor to a young state senator, Barack Obama. Only days after his election as president, Obama, at Rubin's insistence, gave Summers the odd post of U.S. economic czar and made Geithner his czarina, that is, his secretary of the treasury. In 2010, Summers gave up his royalist robes to return to consulting for Citibank and other creatures of bank deregulation, whose payments have raised Summers' worth by $31 million since the endgame memo. Then Obama would, at Robert Rubin's demand, now choose Summer to run the Federal Reserve Board that me <laughs> means that, unfortunately, we are far from the end of the game. So, yeah. Some pretty fucking Yeah, we're yeah. screwed. Mm. And yeah, I'm still recovering from the Mandelson mention. <laughs> that man's creepy. Um, really creepy. Yeah, well, you know, it, um... As, as I can demonstrate in the chat by showing a photo of him. <laughs> if you want, if you want a photo of somebody who's creepy and sli a slime ball that you wouldn't want anywhere near you, he he fits the bill, lovely, <laughs> Peter Mandelson. Um, it's really pretty terrible, and like I don't know how Palas got his hands on that money, um, that memo, but. He actually did a lot of really good work for Panorama, which is yeah. one of the few really good hard news shows. I don't even know if it's still around. Is Panorama still around oh, in yeah. any? Yeah. He did a lot of really good work for Panorama on stuff like this. He did a lot of work on banking and derivatives and things of that nature. Um, and I guess the truth of it is, 
this stuff's kind of boring. Nobody wants to wade through it. I mean, I will. It's because there's something wrong with me. I'll wade through it because I want to get to the bottom of why we live like this now. You know, and I mean, the simple answer is that there's always somebody at the top pulling the strings, but I like to know the why. And I think the people that listen to the show like to know the why. Why did so many people lose their homes in 2007 and 2009? Well, there you go. Now you know. So, yay! Bankers save the day again. Did... Uh, sorry. Did, <laughs> that, that sarcasm was so clear, Jan. Um, yeah, more of that. I can't help it. Um, so, I know. I hate typing something out on social media because there there stands a small chance, um, mm-hmm. very small, but still a small chance, that somebody might mistake my sarcasm for actually meaning. Oh yeah, I know. It. it no, I, it I do that all the time, and and people <laughs> that don't get it usually are the ones I don't want to be friends with. Funnily enough. <laughs> I think social media should have a sarcasm font. Yeah, it should. Well, if you remember, uh, the, isn't it the FBI or the NSA that are trying to add sarcasm detection to a lot of their <laughs> software? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's the Minerva Project. Yeah. I, You know, I hate that we talk about so much of this shit that I have to think back and go, because that's a de- Department of Defense project, Yeah. the Minerva Initiative. Because they want to see what people are going to blow shit up. Who's going to turn full red and black anarchist the quickest? Basically, design a computer that can recognize sarcasm so they can filter people who are joking from people who aren't joking. (laughs) Unfortunately, sarcasm doesn't work like that. So, yeah, they're never going to get software that does it properly. Martian, uh, Martin, and, and yeah, they'd never be able to use. I've said it before; they'd never be able to use it in the United Kingdom. It, well, it'd just I mean, have a fit and explode. Um, well, sarcasm is is, I guess, another service I offer, but um, sarcasm is that that's how I avoid killing people. I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's why that we're I, very good at it over here. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I uh, I hear. I saw it written that sarcasm is like punching someone in the face without breaking the sweat and it kind of is um and i i like sarcasm i'm, I'm fond of it i guess yeah. if you um, really don't like somebody you move on to irony so uh. <laughs> no no you don't because you do realize a lot of people you have to explain that to <laughs> i've said it before simple rules for winning an argument Start sarcastic, move to irony, and then the finishing move is agree with them. <laughs> but in a way that still matches what you wanted to do. Yeah. They're so confused by the switch from the sarcasm and irony that they miss the fact that they've just agreed to what they were arguing about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is very true. I guess we'll save the teacher story for Gina to read after we talk to Alex. <laughs> I couldn't believe when I read that I had to read it three or four times because it, it came up a couple of times this week and I'm going 
that can't possibly be right. No, it, All right. it, it's right. It, it is correct. Yeah, it is correct. Which is unfortunate, but there you go. So, um, something interesting today, the intercept started breaking up all of the Snowden files for anybody who's interested and started releasing them, uh, into like little packets for other people to report on. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and then of course you've got the usual social media snark. So did Kevin have a show this week or no? No. No, he didn't. I and and I'm um, nothing against Kevin and Dino, but I'm kind of glad they didn't because um, when I tuned in and they weren't here, I re-listened to the interview he did with Dave Dorn. <laughs> Dave Dorn's a smart man. Yeah, he is. He really yeah, is Dave Dorn can't figure out why Stanton Glantz won't sue him. He's trying to goad Stanton Glantz into suing him so that he can get him in court and on record. Uh, <laughs> Stanton Glantz is a moron. He's just not a complete and total fucking moron. Because um, Dave would hand him his ass. Yeah, he would. You know, I yeah, mean, Dave would, Dave would Dave would turn up in court and have... Gold platter. Yeah. Here you go, moron. Yeah, I mean, um, Dave Dave could call um, Hayek, Clive Bates. Yeah. You know, all these other yeah. world-renowned experts for his side of the argument. And... and the fat boy can only quote himself in his own research papers. So, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. a judge would go, what? <laughs> but he, all he the stuff's look, your own. <laughs> yeah, he, he does look kind of puffy. Um, he, he does. He looks puffy. Oh, I saw Captain America. Ah. I really liked it. I did. Yes. The, the fight scene was awesome. You know. It was just, it was New an all characters, awesome. really well done. Yeah. I really liked Back Black Deadpool. Panther. I really liked Black Panther. Is it better than Deadpool? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. It is anything better than Deadpool? Probably yeah, not. Uh, oh my God, I love that movie. Absolutely <laughs> love that movie. They're really showing Deadpool in a one-dimensional way because he is really um, not all that coherent and not... Um, that well, sexually they, stable either. Yeah, they, they touched <laughs> on it, but obviously mainstream audience didn't go want to go all out. <sighs> it's hinted at the whole Argy, IKEA conversations. And I, like, um, I <laughs> wasn't paying attention um, when when it first started, and I stopped. Right. And I rewound it. I said, "You have to pay attention to this." And he's like, "Why? What? What the fuck do I want to see these credits for?" And I'm like, "No, you Read do. The credits. <laughs> you have to." And Paul's looking at that, and he is just cracking up laughing. And he's like, okay, yeah, you're right. That was worth paying attention to. And even even if I had to read things, it was worth it. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. even, it's even the little tiny things in the opening sequence. Oh, like yeah. Like some of the items flying past the screen. Oh, yeah. it's hysterical. Lubes and all sorts of interesting <laughs> things. Um, okay. <laughs> it, it, you know, I liked all the references to Green Lantern. Yeah. That was great. Oh, it was. Oh, that's. It's just funny. Yeah, it's so many inside jokes and and the breaking of the wall. I mean, how can you not love Deadpool? The best one is still oh, the, the comment about the um the school for the gifted. <laughs> you got this big house, and whenever I show up here, and that's only for the two of you here. 
Uh, but and and we should caution people. Deadpool is not a movie for children. No, no. Well, I, I'd I say guess you have it to depends be least, on what I, I think. Kind you have to be at least eighteen. like, I don't want to watch this with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh well, you'll have to watch it later then. Oh, yeah, Deadpool is an excellent movie. I I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. Um, but Jan, did you see on on my feed uh, the the guy with the lawn mowing excursion? Uh, no. Oh yeah, you'll have to read through this because this guy is um, his husband asked him to mow the yard, and he um, took pictures and updated his feed throughout <laughs> throughout the excursion of of throughout mowing, mowing his lawn. It, oh no, Jan, you got to read it. it. Okay. You will laugh. You will absolutely crack up laughing. And I'm. And the only thing I had to say at the end of reading all of this shit was, "Been there, done that." This is why I have a riding lawnmower and uh -huh. a self-propelled electric start push mower. Yeah, my lawn, <laughs> my trimmer is not a push mower. It is a lean on the self-propelled lever, and and it goes. Um, and the other thing, um, did you see the thing the 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 farmer. I mean, that's the way to go. Did you see the farmer? The farmer. The farmer. Yes. Link that I post. That is. is fucking epic. Yay, farmer. <laughs> so really quick, I can tell the story before Alex comes on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, this farmer had leased his land out to a um, a fracking company, uh -huh. and Emma Thompson, of course, didn't like it. Well, they got an injunction against Emma Thompson and her Greenpeace buddies, and they were not to be on this farmer's land. So Emma Thompson mm -hmm. and her Greenpeace buddies thought that they were going to defy this court order and set up camp on private property. Okay. So the farmer went and got his liquid manure spreader and hooked it to his tractor and drove in circles around their little freaking encampment, spraying liquid cow shit all over these people. And all I have to say is, yay, farmer. Fuck you, Greenpeace people. You weren't supposed to be there. Um, I completely agree that they have the right to protest something that they don't agree with, but not on private land. So, no. they deserved cow shit. It is, a bit, it is a bit of a waste of slurry, it must be said. <laughs> yes, but it was, it was yay, <laughs> farmer. Um, yeah. Oh, and Jeannie, going back to the thing before that, you do know the company that it's one of the companies that does something similar to the Roomba. They they do a lawnmower version, just to let you know. Wow. Do they? I have a oh, Roomba. Yeah. I have a Roomba. Yeah, you can get you can get automated lawnmowers these days. Yeah, my Roomba. You link it up with a tablet and give it a route to follow, and it trips around your lawn. Well, I can't get along with that because my Roomba turns itself on once a day and runs around for an hour and then parks itself back on its battery charger. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the lawnmower one, they, they haven't made it completely autonomous. They've made it so you have to program in where you want it to mow. Right. Because, yeah, they didn't want to have accidents with it wandering off. Well, I mean, a uh, 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 petrol-powered fast-moving blade attached to it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I can understand that. Yeah. Well, it is seven o'clock. Should we try to reach Alex? Yes, indeed. 
Well, Looks like we've timed it. He's going to get a coffee or gone to the <laughs> probably gone for his ablutions. Or finally found parking. Walking home. We'll let you know when I'm situated. Okay, so we can do that again later. Um, okay. So I guess he's walking home from the rally, and if you follow Mr. Clark on Facebook, you got to see that awesome photo today from New Jersey, which is pretty cool. There were a lot of people that showed up to that hearing today. Good. Exactly. So, do we want to talk about um, the Google Spy View, the Google car? <laughs> the Google car, that's not a Google car. Yeah, that's not a Google car. Fucking ridiculous. Okay. The okay, this is updated. The Philadelphia Police Department admitted it owns the truck. Okay, this isn't a Google Street View car, it's a government spy truck. Update the Philadelphia Police Department admitted it owns the truck and is launching an inquiry as to why it was disguised as a Google vehicle. An SUV tucked away in the shadows of the Philadelphia Convention Center tunnel bears the ubiquitous logo for Google Maps. And mounted on top of the vehicle are two high-powered license plate reader cameras. To the average passerby, it might appear to be a Google Street View vehicle. Others, such as Matt Blaze, a University of Pennsylvania computer and information science professor, saw it for what it truly was, a crudely designed tool for surveillance. Blaze tweeted a picture of the vehicle with the appropriate opening, what the fuck, which he didn't actually say, he just kind of tweeted out WTF because who does that <clears throat> and he had very good reasons if you look on the link I put in chat Blaze's baffled pronouncement is appropriate why would a government agency need to disguise a surveillance vehicle like this and which agency believes it needs to do so placard on the dashboard indicates that the SUV is registered with the Philadelphia Office of Fleet Management, which maintains city government's 6,316 vehicles, indicating that the vehicle is being used by a local agency. Christopher Koki, who serves as the city's fleet manager and whose signature is on the document, says that the vehicle does not belong to the Pennsylvania State Police, which is known to use automated license plate recognition, ALPR, or the Philadelphia Parking Authority a local agency that also uses ALPR. So whose surveillance truck is it? All city vehicles such as fire, streets, etc. are registered with the city quasi-public agencies like the PPA, Housing Authority, PGW, and School District and are registered to their respective agencies. Fleet Manager Christopher Koki wrote an email to Vice Motherboard after reviewing the photos of the vehicle. He also believes it to be connected to law enforcement activity. Unless the Philadelphia Fire Department or Streets Department are using ALPR, this strongly suggests that the city's police department is trawling through the city under the auspices of Google while snapping thousands of license plate images per minute. That's very puzzling because as of 2011, Philadelphia police have been operating at least 10 mobile camera units and not hiding that fact. The use of ALPR is controversial because of its ability to photograph thousands of license plate images per minute in doing so, warrantlessly track and stir the average person's travel habits. 
In Philly, police can retain this data for a full year, even though the vast majority of residents are not under investigation. Plate information captured and subsequently used for investigations can be stored indefinitely, according to a police department directive. So why the subterfuge? Two spokesmen with the Philadelphia Police Department were not immediately available for comment. We can confirm that this is not a Google Maps car and that we are currently looking into the matter, Google spokesperson Susan Kardisha wrote. When pressed, Kardisha would not elaborate as to whether the company was concerned or angered that a local agency would be using a vehicle with a powerful and controversial surveillance technology while masquerading as a street mapping car. In a follow-up email, Kardisha said, We don't have any further comment at this time but indicated that the company might have more to say as their inquiry continues. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see the Philadelphia Police Department being bankrupt very soon by the court case. Mm, yeah, me too. But did, you did see the ridiculous photo, right? Oh yeah, it looks nothing like a Google streetcar. Exactly. And it isn't a seen... big ball camera, it's two very obvious normal cameras. Oh yeah, it's It's ridic- not a 360 degree view camera that's on it. So, I mean, it's it's the and worst. It's, it's twice the size of a Google car as well. Yeah, they use little is... tiny cars so they can get in yeah. and out of small streets. Exactly. Not a big SUV. No, and it is the worst disguise in history. It, it's like somebody you know who's transitioning from yeah, and it, the, male the, to the female. The Google thing is just a window sticker, not yeah, vehicle exactly. livery. So it's obviously not Google. But yeah, if Google get upset, yeah, Philadelphia Police Department are probably about to lose all their money. Uh, Because Google have sued people for copyright stuff before. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It just seems like a stupid idea to me. You saw the pictures, right, Jeannie? What did you think? I've seen a Google car. That's not one. (laughs) I say, yeah, they're little tiny things with a giant... Even even dome in on the top. Pennsylvania, we've seen Google cars. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Me too. Seen here too. It just seems weird that they just shoved that sticker on the window, though. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. Oh, do you remember me talking about those boxes they were placing on telephone poles? Yeah. Around here. Okay, so I'm looking back through some old stories, and I hit one in 2015, and it's. Los Angeles and um, the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms is taking the credit for placing those outside people's phone phone and, and um, their telephone poles and stuff in all these counties in Los Angeles. So I'm wondering if it's the same sort of thing. Which just seems Possibly. weird. Yeah. I guess. I just thought I would update on that since we don't really update most stories because there really isn't an update to most of the stories we do. Unless the government fucks up again. I find it amusing if they try to do that where (laughs) I live. I'd know about it straight away. Mm -hmm. Because literally I can can hear and see them putting the ladder up against (laughs) the telegraph pole because I'm on the third floor. I am level. My my bedroom window is level with where the telephone box is on the pole. So every time there's a phone engineer out fiddling with it, I know about it straight away. <laughs> Hear the clanking of the ladder going up against the side. Hear the oh. clanking, and you're like, "Hey, it's working! Get away from there, you!" Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what killed my internet before. It was one of them daft engineers. So yeah. 
Well, it, it just sucks that you have no competition in that, that they just, you know, decided one company will do this and that's it. Well, yeah, it is the insanity of we must have separate providers, but not a set, but, but one <laughs> infrastructure company. It's like, yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the infrastructure just... is where a lot of the profit is. Yeah, that's just crazy. It, it just makes no sense to me why it would be that way. Yeah, um, I'll try to get it changed, but it'll take years. Oh, I can understand why they would want to get it changed. Genie. Well, it, it took years of being in court before British Telecom had actually let other companies into the <laughs> telephone exchanges. They were getting That's... fines, fined da a daily fine of several hundred thousand pounds per day for three years before they finally started letting other people's engineers in. That's crazy. Yeah. You hey, said Genie. Really nice. Do you want me to read this stupid ass story now? Yes. <laughs> Okay, um, and and everybody listening on the recording, um, again, I apologize before this even starts. My language um, might be a bit foul during this, um, and, you know, these people are assholes, um, and in this case, I actually support somebody getting a lawyer and suing, because this is just bullshit. Um, here we go. North Carolina teen passes drug test, but still gets suspended for smelling like weed. Garner, North Carolina. A 15-year-old Wake County High School student was suspended for possession of drugs based solely on the smell of marijuana, and the family is saying the school made a mistake. Garner Magnet High School sophomore, Jaquela Johnson, said she was in Chinese class with about 30 other students when a school resource officer interrupted the class saying they smelled marijuana from the hall. I would like to interject how bad do you think this stench was that this asshole smelled it in the hallway? But okay. <laughs> I was feeling embarrassed because they called me out of everybody, Jaquela Johnson said. After about five minutes of searching the class, Johnson said the officer singled her out. They told me to spread my fingers and they smelled my fingers, she said. Jaquela Johnson said she was taken to the office and patted down. And an officer made her remove her shoes and went through her book bag as well. Wake County School documents obtained by CBS North Carolina states, It was explained to Jaquela that for her hands to smell so pungently of marijuana, she would have had to have possessed it in her hands at some recent point in time. Hmm. Hmm. And okay. Alrighty then. Jaquela Johnson was suspended for five days because of this. Wait. Hold on. Time out. Back up. No drug dog, no nothing. Some untrained person says this is the smell. Okay, let me reread this one more time. Jaquela Johnson was suspended for five days because of this. She was also required to take drug classes or face suspension for the rest of the year. Jaquela Johnson's mother, Tamika, 
said that when the school called to notify her of the suspension, she couldn't believe what they were saying. I said, not my child. You have the wrong child because I know my child. Now, okay, time out. Let me interject right there, though. Lady, none <laughs> of us know our children. Teenagers are teenagers, okay? So, yeah, we don't know shit. <laughs> but the mother did right. Tamika Johnson said the day of her daughter's suspension, she took her to a medical lab to get a drug test. Yay, Mom. The results of the test came back negative for any drugs or alcohol. Hmm. There's that. Right. Tamika Johnson said instead, school officials presented her with a document that said that Jaquela Johnson was suspended for possession of marijuana. That was after her mother brought the test yep. results in. Yep. Her, um, Tamika Johnson said she presented the results to the school officials. She said she wanted an apology and to have Jaquela reinstated into classes. Instead, school officials presented her with a document that said Jaquela Johnson was suspended for possession of marijuana. That they had absolutely no freaking proof of and a drug test saying the kid was clean. So, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. She asked the school officials how this was possible when they claimed to only have smelled marijuana. Tamika Johnson said school officials told her there was no other option to check on the document, so they checked possession. When, in fact, the kid was not in possession or under the influence, but hey. Her mother said she now fears this incident will follow her daughter for the rest of her life. Yes, and it can because schools never delete a goddamn thing. And she is worried this is happening to other students who might not know how to stand up for themselves. Wake County School declined to comment on the specific incident due to student privacy. Yeah, because... Apparently, they're really concerned about this child. The system did say, while there is no specific policy in the student handbook for suspensions over the scent of marijuana, school administrators can use their best judgment to determine if they believe a student is in possession of drugs. No, you fucking can't! <laughs> As for the removal of the suspension... Officials said that that has come, what? Is, that has to come from an official oh, appeal to the school board. Oh, yeah, uh, which of course will be after the suspension is served. Mm -hmm. That didn't make sense as I was reading it. As for the removal of the suspension, officials said that has to come from an official appeal to the school board. Ja'Kayla Johnson's appeal date is set for May 18th, but... She said during her suspension, she missed at least three tests and is still struggling to catch up on her work. Um, I think that um, this would call for an emergency school board, school board session, um, which would have to happen before the suspension right. was to take place. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what their school board laws are. <laughs> Um, in that state, but I'm here to tell you that they are seriously fucked up if something like this can take place and the suspension can be enforced prior to there being a special school board session um, to address the situation. Um, because they had no proof that this kid 
had any drugs. They right. searched her. They got nothing. The mother took the kid for a drug test. It showed nothing. Right. Um, this is such a a fucking ridiculous it's bunch bullshit. of nonsense. It's it's a complete setup as well. It's because for the official in question, the resource officer, to be able to smell it in the hall while she was sitting in the classroom, she would have had to been sitting there smoking the damn stuff. For, and everybody for in the, the smell to go that far. So yeah, I mean, she'd have evidence more than just a smell on her hand. I mean, I want to know who she pissed off. Yeah. Or, or who her mother pissed off. Or something. Because this is just ridiculous. I agree. I heard this last week and I was like, gee, Jeannie's not, Jeannie oh. hasn't put this up on her Facebook page. I guess she doesn't know about this one. Yeah, no, she didn't. Yeah, no, Jeannie did not know, and I'm all third person here. No, because this this is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, I agree. I agree. There, this is the most retarded suspension a child could get. Yeah. Oh, I smelled marijuana on your hands because there's no way you could have been like harvesting oregano. Or making a fucking pizza or anything like that. Sure that. The kid wasn't just smelling patchouli, wasn't wearing patchouli, and and the the asshole sniffing her. Um, you I was know, say there's a lot of perfumes that have a certain uh, you know about them. They related yeah. the smell of patchouli to stoners. <laughs> that that I get. Um, you know, it's that happened up. a lot. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> Two of my favorite scents. One's called Hippie Gypsy and the other one's called Flashback. And they all have the undertone of a cannabis scent to them. I don't like the smell of cannabis, but this smells like raw cannabis. And I wear that all the time and people are like, God, you smell good. <laughs> so who, who's to say she wasn't wearing that? Well, say any, any of the perfumes yeah. that have the musk-based base can all smell slightly like... Um, Marijuana. I don't understand how this happened and it wasn't all over national news. I mean, this is freaking ridiculous. I agree. It is. If you want more stories like this, you can subscribe to Nanny State News on Facebook, which isn't me. <laughs> but there's lots of stories like that there. So, um, oh, What is it? Nanny State News? Yeah. Yeah, you'll love it. I love the the logo for Nanny State News, it's its someone dressed up like a nanny wearing a gas mask. It's kind of great. Um, yeah. So, uh, Alex, Alex says he's home. Oh, sorry, Alex. <laughs> I told him it was going to be a couple minutes. It's good. I, I think we gave him a chance. I'll mute my microphone and sit here and cuss it. Get it out, Jeannie. Oh, this is just, I mean, it, it, I this was allowed to happen. I know. And there wasn't a protest outside this school. I mean, of all the stupid shit that we allow to happen every day, we are now going to allow and sit back and take a kid being suspended from school with zero proof that she did anything wrong. Well, apart zero. From, apart from the word of one person. Yeah. I mean, she didn't even draw a pretend gun on a piece of fucking paper. <laughs> Yeah, she didn't chew her Pop-Tart into the shape of a gun, so there was really no reason to suspend her. I just... Oh, she didn't bring the one ring of power to school either. Oh, oh and the other thing, if, if 
Sorry, Jeannie. If it was, if, if she was that you know, if it, if it was that serious, how come the school hadn't called the police in? Oh, because they had no proof. That's yeah, why. Yeah. Proof. <laughs> We've got nothing, so we'll just kick the kid out of school for five days. Five days. It's because they didn't want to admit they were wrong. They wanted to scapegoat something, hang something on for some reason. And, and they unfortunately, she was it, and they did it. Drugs because on a on a drug related offense the school isn't responsible for making sure that the student has tutors is allowed to continue with her classwork or that she is allowed to retake exams that's why it was for drugs yeah it's just a shop. Yeah. and 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 by the way i don't know what north carolina rules are but um uh, uh, there there are a lot of states that anything drug related is permanently on your record, your record. on your school record permanently and these people had no proof. None. I know. They did not. They absolutely did not. Right. Uh, so we're going to switch gears, guys. We're going to bring Alex on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll try and I'll So that'll be different. Good evening, Alex. Good evening, Alex. Good evening. <laughs> How was your day today? I oh see my photos. God! <laughs> Tell me about your day. Man, it was long. Yeah. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you to everybody that showed up in Trenton today. I, there must have been well over a hundred people when I walked by, um, or when I walked up to the group. Um, so a really good turnout uh, for the rally, and uh, and it was I, I I showed up late. It took me a little while to get going this morning, um, but uh, it uh, yeah I got there and people had signs and they're standing out on State Street, um, and uh, you know people are driving by honking their horns and waving and it was you know it was a good happy group of people and. Clearly, some support from the passers-by, or maybe that's just what they do in Trenton. Like every time there's a rally at the the house annex, it's actually in front of the um, what is it like the Trenton State Museum or something like that. Um, I can't remember. <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, it was a good group. Um, I, I believe I missed Greg speaking, um, but yeah, some you know some great photos, a great crowd. Um, Got to see some familiar faces, people I've I've met at uh, various uh, expos and so on the past couple of months. Uh, some people that I met in Carlisle, uh, so that was good. Mm -hmm. um, and then we went to the committee hearing. Mm -hmm. There were there were actually two tobacco-related bills, and the one I embarrass embarrassingly uh, did not know that it was on the agenda. Um, it was uh, Senate Bill um, 2135, which is another one of these prohibit sales of tobacco products in pharmacies. Right. Um, but there was some good discussion at least. Um, I believe they were talking about an amendment because uh, there was some question as to whether this meant sort of standalone, you know, ex like exclusive pharmacies uh, or whether it meant like a, a supermarket with a pharmacy in it. 
where you know the pharmacy is just sort of its own little section, and you know you have to go to customer service to buy cigarettes or e-cigarettes. Um, so that that was uh, at least they had some some thoughtful discussion about that. Um, of course, Casas' position is that um, you know individual business owners should be allowed to choose what they sell in their stores. Um, these are legal legal products for now, so um, there's really no no point in that that legislation. And really, you know, the pharmacy stuff is is just kind of to support uh, CVAS. Um, <laughs> that's how I look at it. Um, so uh, there was that. Um, the, the usual suspects were in favor of the bill. Uh, American Heart, I, American Heart Association, was, I think, was the only only organization that actually sent somebody to speak. Um, and uh, and that was that. Greg actually testified on that briefly. Um, and then we moved on. So it, the, since there were so many people, I think the chairman uh, intentionally led, and they, you know, they kind of grouped the two tobacco bills together. Um, the chairman uh, opted to hold these bills until the end of the hearing um, so as not to make everyone else suffer through the endless parade of vapors, um, which which is, is good and, and weird. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's uh, First of all, I want to preface this by saying it was awesome to see so many people come out. Right. Um, that is absolutely necessary. It has certainly made an impression on the lawmakers, and um, they they should, if they didn't before, they should know that there are a lot of people passionately engaged in this issue. Excellent. However, <laughs> um, when so many people sign up to speak mm -hmm. and the chairperson quite professionally and politely uh, and I'm saying this about Senator Joe Vitale who has been <laughs> aggressively coming after vapor products right. when the chairman says there's a lot of you and we would recommend limiting your comments to around three minutes right. um, there was no buzzer there's no light system there it's just you know you're sort of expected to keep your comments on a leash. Um, the, it just the last two hours were nothing but people <laughs> testifying on this bill. Uh, it was at times excruciating. Um, I uh, there was, but there was some very powerful testimony from, from some other people. Um, some very powerful personal stories that were uh, great. I, one guy, I think, just about made me cry, um, and uh, it was uh, it was very good. But well, and and I would like to uh, hopefully impart some some useful advice that I employ every time I know that I'm going to speak in front of a crowd, um, which is and especially in front of a group of lawmakers. Uh, rehearse. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Practice your presentation. Um, one particular strategy that I like to use is I will sit down, and since I'm sort of doing this on behalf of CASA, there is a need to be professional. Um, so I prepare our written testimony, which is on CASA letterhead, and um, uh, that is lengthy. It can be, you know, three to five pages long, depending on the issue. Uh, and depending on how in-depth we want to go with, 
you know, citing other articles or science. Um, there is a, a bibliography, there are citations, um, and that allows me to submit that testimony to the committee. And I can say something very simply, which is uh, I have submitted written testimony, so I, I'm not going to get too deeply into that. Uh, I would urge you to read that, uh, but I do want to draw your attention to a few very important points. That's it. <laughs> That's like all you have to do. Um, for uh, uh, business owners, uh, obviously you, you're going to want to talk about economic impact of certain things. There's some really important points that business owners can speak to um, that do not involve public health. Uh, and uh, obviously some business owners have some very touching kind of personal behind-the-counter stories about customers that come in. Those are, are, are certainly appropriate to share. Um, but really at the end of the day, you, you want to practice in front of the mirror. Practice on a friend. They might not be your friend after you're done, but you should practice on them. Um, it, it's, uh, it is vitally important because and everybody, everybody sort of responds to stress and public speaking uh, in, in different ways. Uh, and I saw a couple people get up there that, you know, I kind of looked at them before and I thought, oh, they're going to be kind of a cool customer. And they got up there and it was just sort of like, like you just, there was like a very little coherence. I could pick out a few important points here and there, um, but they were clearly nervous and, and they weren't very rehearsed uh, and they were not sticking to, you know, what they may have written. So um, anyway, those are just very, very important things to remember going into these. And I, this is sort of, we're sort of getting into that season where, you know, some states, uh, New Jersey in particular, uh, some of the states that are, you know, in session for the longer periods, uh, we're going to see more committee hearings. Um, and, you know, if it's your first time getting up there and, and it's just really important for you to tell your story, tell your story, get up there, tell, talk about how, uh, you know, briefly, briefly, keep it to three minutes. Um, you know, these products help you and, and here's some, uh, you know, however it relates to the bill, talk about that. Um, and and try to defer to uh, people who who actually do know more and can speak expertly on particular topics. Mm -hmm. um, that that is that is very effective, and it saves everybody a lot of time. We we want to give the impression that we, well, we don't have to give the impression. We want to make it clear that we're passionate about this issue. But we don't want to inflict pain on the committee. Um, they, they can be our friends, and, and we're trying to reach sort of a level of understanding with them. Um, and on that note, I, I think I, I may have said something. I got, I got an eye roll from one of the senators um, when I mentioned uh, the flavored alcohol products. Um, mm -hmm. And my, my talking point was that, you know, we're, we're not talking about flavored or flavored alcohol products in the same way, because we've we've already had this conversation. We've already we've already done alcohol prohibition in this country, and it was arguably one of the largest, biggest public health disasters we've ever seen. Um, and I that was just something I had rattling around in my head because everybody sort of talks about like, well, you know, alcohol's got flavor too, but we never really kind of flesh out why we're not going after flavored alcohol products. Um, and that's, you know, there's a reason for that because we've already, we've been down that road and it was, it was a disaster. Sure. Um, and there are certainly parallels between that and, and vapor products and, and tobacco generally. 
-hmm. So anyway, after all of that, uh, the expectation is that the bill will, I I don't know. I had to leave. I just, I could not sit there any longer. Um, I feel sorry for Greg. He was still sitting there when I left. Uh, and there was still, you know, I don't know, maybe like eight or 10 people that still were on the list to testify. Um, so I, who knows, they might be done by now. Uh, that was, that was like two hours ago that I left. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so we, we sort of fully expect this bill to pass through this committee. Um, that I believe there will be a second committee, uh, and then, uh, it would go to the floor of the Senate before going any further. Okay. <sighs> so it was a lot. Busy. So it was a busy day. I um, I, I can tell you when Venice, Florida banned smoking, outdoor smoking. Mm-hmm. I looked at the laws and I said, well, this is clearly illegal because only the state can pass these this type of legislation here in Florida. I went and spoke and I am smart enough to know how I am. So I wrote something out and read it and submitted it into the testimony. And that, that's the only way I could do it because mm-hmm. I, I, I have a weakness. I'll just go off. So that's the only way I can do it. And um, that tends to work out for me. It might not work for everybody else, but it, a lot of times it's easier to stick to a script, especially when you're speaking in front of people you don't know and you're nervous. Yeah, it, it really does take a lot of practice. I mean, I, I have done public speaking and I mean, I was in a band in high school, so you know, I'm, I'm familiar with standing in front of a, a, a large crowd of people, um, but that was, I mean, I was a teenager back then, so, you know, it, not being around that for a while, it actually took me, it's taken me, you know, a year to get to the point where I feel comfortable speaking uh, in front of a group, and, and that's been repeated practice, and I, I've stood in front of people and gotten just sort of overwhelmingly nervous, um, and, and it, just, it just sort of creeps up on you, you know? Um, it's it's but, not a normal thing to do, really. No. You know, not like that. Not like that. <laughs> not giving testimony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no. There's, there's. There's. very. Sometimes it breaks down into uh, a legitimate conversation when 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 the committee members ask you questions. Um, first of all, it's very good to be prepared for those questions. Um, there was uh, there were some answers given to a few questions. Uh, today that sort of went a little off the rails and it was it was clear that you know this person should not be speaking about this particular topic um, they, 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 they should defer to an industry expert even though they are in fact in the industry and, and uh, I believe uh, I believe they were a manufacturer um, but there was another manufacturer that testified that that was very um, uh, very knowledgeable and, and very, you know, on, on top of uh, uh, some of the issues um, when it comes to the chemical constituents of e-liquid and, and understanding some things. Um, I, w- I wouldn't speak on that. <laughs> that's, you know, that's manufacturing. That's, that's for the industry guys to handle. But, you know, let's talk about appropriate public health policy and, and, and I, can, I can talk about that. But um, so, yeah. Whew. Okay, so, so I've, I've 
Yeah, I've been kind of out of the loop all day, so I don't know about um, a couple of other things. I guess we have uh, a couple of announcements. I haven't even checked in on Facebook since I got I literally walked in the door, sat down, and uh, sent you a message saying I was home. Um, I've checked a couple of emails. Um, but uh, there is or is or was uh, a tax fight in West Virginia again. Um, for those that may have not seen Larry Faircloth on uh, one of these uh, vaping TV shows, um, he was discussing, and this was a bill or a proposal that had come up, I believe, a couple months ago uh, that, that uh, he had worked to fight back um, and actually sort of defeated it before it ever saw the light of day. Um, but this is sort of like a triple tax scenario, something like that. Um, uh, the manufacturer or the importer pays uh, a tax. Um, there's a tariff for importing it. Uh, and then the uh, retailer pays a tax, like a, a, I guess it would be like a, a floor stock tax or something like that. Right. Uh, and then and these are all sort of per milliliter proposals. Uh, and then and then there's another tax on consumers. So they, they, they're triple dipping on this and uh, Larry's Larry's assessment was that they were trying to raise three hundred million dollars, um, uh, which yeah. is just out, outrageous. I mean, that's that's drunk math. Um, <laughs> I mean, you just—I don't know how you come up with that number. Um, so I, I haven't checked in to see how that went, but we sent out an alert, um, kind of piggybacking on 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 or at you know Larry. Uh, Larry had given this out last night um, to call the West Virginia Speaker of the House and uh, just melt his phone all day long. Um, so I'm curious to see how that went. Um, that was that. Oh, the other announcement, if you are in the state of Mississippi, uh, I sent out a uh, sort of a flyer email type thing today. Uh, Greg Conley is doing uh, sort of a, 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 like a five-date tour through Mississippi. Um, check that out. I, I, I don't want to sit here with dead air and try to find that email, um, <laughs> but actually, it wouldn't be that hard. Um, and uh, it's not really a problem with dead air. I mean, that was the one thing I've got to say uh, was actually pounded into me. It's just keep filling that space because dead air sounds terrible. So while you look, I don't really have a problem talking. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> It's one of my little talents. Uh, that and reading stuff, apparently. Big talents of mine. So let me know when you're ready to, to talk about Greg's um, tour of Mississippi. Greg Connolly's Mississippi tour. That kind of sounds like fun. I, I bet it's going to be. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe Greg will... Uh, here we go. AVA's... Truth about truth about vaping tour coming to the state of Mississippi. Uh, so uh, Monday, May twenty third, he'll be in Gulfport. Wednesday, May twenty fifth, in Meridian. May twenty sixth, that's a Thursday, will be in Jackson. May twenty seventh, Friday, uh, will be in Tupelo, and May twenty eighth, Saturday, will be in Columbus. Um, check. Uh, the American Vaping. If you live in Mississippi and you're a Kassam member, check your email um, and uh, check the American Vaping Association to uh, come hang out with Greg Conley for a few hours uh, this month. Kind of cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that. Uh, this week. Oh my God! I am <laughs> flying to Las Vegas again. Okay. Um, the VPX is having a show at the Sands. Um, I will be speaking at the B2B day on Friday and then flying home on Saturday, which means I get to sit around in my underwear all day on Sunday. Nice. I'm totally looking forward to that. Um, well, you're not on a plane, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and then, so I, I managed to move some things around in my personal schedule because I have tentatively... A very important meeting coming up in Oklahoma. Um, so uh, I'm not going to Canada to relax with my wife. Um, it's okay. Uh, she was doing business things anyway, so it wasn't like a vacation or anything. But uh, I believe it is on June 1st. I will be flying out to Oklahoma City to meet with Representative Tom Cole, uh, along with Sean, Sean Gore, is going to be out there. Right. And um, uh, I, I believe that Safada and ABA are also invited. I'm not sure if they're able to make it yet. Um, right. But we're, we're going to be sitting down with uh, Representative Tom Cole. I'm excited to meet him. Uh, for those that don't know, Tom Cole uh, wrote uh, SB 2048, 2058, I'm sorry. 2058, um, which that, that bill just straight up changes the predicate date for vapor products. Um, it's actually very simple in plain language. Um, and then there is the Cole Bishop Amendment, which is in the appropriations bill, uh, mm -hmm. the agricultural appropriations bill at this moment, um, which has some, it's a lot more detailed and there are some more provisions in there. Uh, I'm not sure what we're doing this week in terms of. Uh, getting something out about that but both bills are in play uh, and 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 we I you know we have actually sort of struggled to kind of clear up some confusion um, amongst the community but uh, I, I, I do want to make something really clear um, the Cole Bishop amendment is moving because it is in it is language that is in a must pass bill um, that does not mean that it is guaranteed to stay in that bill and as we get closer to June, um, we will likely have to rally the troops in order to get support to keep this bill in the Ag Appropriations. Right. I'm sorry, the amendment in the Ag Appropriations Bill. Um, this is a matter for us. This is a matter of, of timing. Uh, you know, we don't want to pull the trigger on this now and then two or three weeks from now have to try to pull the trigger again and nobody's there. Um, so, you know, our, our calls to action are, are timed like this sure. to get maximum participation when it's needed the most. Um, so, um, we are, uh, in, and CASA, you know, regardless of the, the extra provisions in the Cole Bishop Amendment, CASA is, uh, generally speaking, consistently been supportive of a change in the predicate date. Sure. Um, and so that's what really matters to us. Um, so just to clear up some confusion from people, we picked up two more co-sponsors on HR 2058. Oh, I know. You got week. Thomas Massey. Oh, he's my favorite. I love him. Fantastic. I, do you have like his trading card or something? 
No, but he's great. He's, he's great. He, uh, everything he says he's going to do, he does. And he actually reads the bills before he does anything with them. So he's very rare on Capitol Hill. Nice. He's, he's a reader. So, you know, who knew? <laughs> Fantastic. Readers yeah. are good. I think so. Um, so that's it for now uh, as far as I know I'm sure I'll think of something that I should have talked about um, but then I'll just save that for next week okay alright thank you for everything you do for us Alex and go go relax uh, not tonight but thanks well <laughs> I'm thinking of you <laughs> thank you thanks alright night. see you next week yep So, yeah, I just said I loved a politician. I do actually really like that guy. <laughs> He's obviously not had his lobotomy yet. No, no. He um, he made all his... He's an inventor, and he made all his money before he was elected to Congress. So, you know, he's good. At least... Uh, at least for people like me who actually like it when people actually read these bills, you know, I, I find that that's something I admire. That's a good thing. And it's rare in Congress. Most of them are just, um, well, most of them just allow the stuff like the FBI is doing to just go by and not say anything about it. Like, my favorite person. Fucking bitch from California. <clears throat> <laughs> are you talking about Feinstein again? I am. I love her. She's a, she, I can't stand that bitch. I mean, and I think the thing I like least about her is she's fine with the government spying on us, but she sees a drone outside her window and she loses her fucking mind. That's some funny shit. Um, the politicians I like best at the minute were uh, all, all the semi-retired ones last week. <laughs> did you see the the House of Lords thing? I in did, actually. I it did. It was impressive. <laughs> Not I a single person had a good thing to say about the TPD. No, nobody did. <laughs> I mean, well, it's it's ramming through something that doesn't need to be rammed through. Yeah. You know, um, it's ramming through stupidity and um, it's ramming through death, um, just like the FBA, FDA is doing. But, I mean, you still have it so much better than I think we're going to. Like, I, like it was said last week, so you get two milliliter bottles of 20 milligram liquid and that's... Doesn't ten, sound ten too mil, bad. Can we come stay with you? Yeah, ten mil <laughs> bottles, twenty milligram strength limit, two mil limit on the size of tanks. Still. Oh, and leak-proof refilling and all sorts of other crap. But yeah. Yes, uh, Diane Feinstein is the person that says once you take the guns away from the honest people, the criminals will simply simply step forward and lay the guns down. And all crime will stop magically. Um, She's a stupid bitch. She is a stupid bitch. She suffers from that same magical thinking that the head of the FBI does and everybody else in government who's like, yeah. we need a package door, people. we need computers we to be secure. The problem goes away. Because, um, yeah, that worked with cocaine and heroin. Well, stupid bitch. I mean, here's the thing. Chicago. And I really hate to use this as an example, but they have the strictest gun control laws and then they have just wholesale slaughter going on there. And the honest people don't have guns. The dishonest people do. And the police are almost powerless to stop them. 
Um, sometimes the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And, and that's just the reality of it. The bad guys aren't going to give that stuff up, folks. They never are. You know, it, it's counterintuitive to their economic business model to give up the tools that allow them to prosper in the black market economy. They're not going to do it. They're not going to roll over and say, here, government, you can have my guns. Thank you. It's just not going to happen. And no matter how we wish it away or we wish it wouldn't happen, it simply will not. It simply will not. And, and you're absolutely right. Diane Feinstein wants to take away everybody else's guns, but she has a concealed carry weapons permit. It just blows my mind. I can't stand her. She's such a two-faced bitch. And she does terrible things to the people that elect her in California. I wish people would look at the voting records of the politicians they vote in again. You know, Congress has an 11% approval rate. It has a 94.6% re-election rate. That's insane. I mean, that is literally the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting things to change. It's not going to change. Not like that. You know? If you're just going to keep voting in the same asshole, you're going to get the same results. And I think it's because... It's really hard to judge people, but you look at what they voted for before you go to the polls. It requires a little bit of homework. And I think, I don't know whether people are uncomfortable with that or they don't trust their own judgment or it's, it's boring. I think the problem is it's boring. When stuff is boring, people don't really want any part of it. You know what I mean? And it's kind of a shame because if that's the only thing you do, every four years or every two years is just go out and vote and you do it blindly. You're really, you're screwing yourself and everybody else because it really is mob rule at that point. Some screwed up shit with the government. Um, yeah. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> That's okay. I've been going off on nothing but tangents since the regs hit. I could just... Anyway people right now though Jan I, I really honestly could um, if you want to support whatever advocacy group you support go for it if I want to support another one I am entitled to that I, there, there is there oh good god heaven um, people now we we have one goal right now and and I don't give a shit which advocacy group it is I don't care if it's all of them I don't care if it's one coalition or the other just shut the fuck up and support something because arguing with each other is not what we're supposed to be doing right now. It's supposed this to be is, fighting the freaking government. And this is, this everybody is, is fighting each other. Everybody's fighting each other, and this is not how this goes. I mean, you look, no. everybody's got that, that post up about Mitch Zeller and how much how great it would be if everybody switched, and they're posting this thing like it's, like it's fucking wonderful. No, um, everybody. Hello, people. Yeah, it's great that he said it, but this is also the asshole that turned around and decimated this industry and handed what was left of it to Big Tobacco. So while it's great that he said this, he's still a douchebag. He still is trying to destroy us. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that's what we need to be fighting. Not, not whose advocacy group is better. Fuck, shut up about that. That's not, that's not the issue right now. The issue right now is the FDA. The issue right now is getting the, the Cole Bishop Amendment <coughs> or H.R. 2058. Or both. And, or both. Actual, real things. Mm-hmm. Finished things. Um, and that's what it's got to be about. So everybody, just shut up about all the other nonsense. <laughs> Pay attention to what's important. Um, stay on task. And this is coming from the queen of rambling. <laughs> all, all I'm going to say is this. The reason why we have a two-party system is it's easier to pit large groups of people against each other if they're kind of on the same side but have slight differences. Um, And you see that even in the vaping community with say um, volume vapors, which I guess are called cloud chasers or people who are mouth to lung inhalers or people who've been doing this forever and use a disposable. Um, The best thing you can do for yourself now is don't allow yourself to be swayed by pettiness. We are all the same. It does not matter. Do something. Don't argue with your neighbor. You know, this is not getting us anywhere, but it is dividing us even more as a community when we really need to be pulling together now more than ever before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, the same thing with the country, but I can use vaping as a microcosm and uh, give my same talk. <laughs> Well, and, and here's a microchasm for you, Jan, just to, just to add a bit of levity and humor in here. Okay. Just, just because I'm sure you're not aware. I wasn't aware either. Somebody felt the need to, to share this with me. Liz, um, we, have, we have even graduated from hand checks now. Yep. The letters. Yeah. We, have, we have people standing in front of mirrors, buck naked, blowing clouds to cover their parts up, and sending these pictures out in Facebook groups as, as their hand check of the day. Um, so I saw a cool hand check today. Somebody had their Friday hand check up, and they had letters to their senators and congressmen in them, and that was their hand check. That they were sending. I don't know. See, I was pretty know. fucking impressed by that. When people started doing loads of hand checks, I believe I put up a blank image, just a black square, photos shaped, going, yeah, hand check after regulation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess, like, I have a vaping group that I inherited from my friend who died. And I pretty much only keep it open sort of as a tribute to her because she would want it still there. And I just post news on it. It doesn't really have hand checks or links to shops. It was just supposed to be sharing information and and legal strategy and stuff. And that's all it is. Um, But I have not gotten involved with any of the other um, groups just because I have more than enough to do. And, um, I guess I just don't have the time to stand there naked, blowing clouds, and taking selfies. I don't know. 
Yeah, I have turned off notifications <laughs> or stuff groups. Um, right. Just because the moronic things being said are going to make me want to beat people with a baseball bat. Um, and that would hurt my hands. So, yeah, it was just easier to turn notifications off on, on these groups because um, I, if I had to listen to or read one more person say, why didn't I know about this? How could this be happening? Why did this why did this advocacy group or that advocacy group allow this to happen? Yeah, I, that's really, my favorite. Really? My favorite one. How, how, how come you haven't done anything? What? I love when people say it's, that to me. It, it, I just want to cry because for no, the past... I want to hurt people. Seven, for the past seven years, all I've done... Is try to advocate, try to get people to wake up and, and try to get them to realize, you know, if they don't pull together, we're screwed. But, you know, what ifs? There's, you know, there's always going to be a, a black market and, you know, us older vapors are going to be fine. But it's, had we pulled together, it's the whole entire group of other people whose health you could have improved whose lives you could have made better that I don't I don't know how to get that message out nobody gives a fuck know what I mean? Mm-hmm. when you can be blowing naked cloud pictures why would you give a fuck about the other guy who hasn't been able to quit smoking yeah I don't know that's, that's the problem in a lot of the groups too many of them have the people going Oh well, I've got I've got I've got so many supplies in the freezer, and I can buy more from China. And <laughs> it's not about you, dickhead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah everyone who's experienced. Yeah, we're fine. It's not us that's no, gonna have the issue. No, it, it's all and the people that aren't vapors yet. It's kind of like because I was involved from the beginning, kind of like with the forums and stuff. I feel like. I want to give back maybe my knowledge or whatever, you know, um, like the people who helped me did because without them, I wouldn't be here now. I, I, I wouldn't, I don't even know. So that's what I would like to do. And everybody else isn't made of the same material. Everyone has different wants and, and different needs, and they're going to go their own ways. I don't know. That was fucking depressing. A little bit. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, British hacker wins court battle over encryption keys. That's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is just the, the extreme difference in the law mm -hmm. between the United States and the UK. A British court on Tuesday rejected an attempt by security agents to force an alleged hacker to hand over his encryption keys. 31-year-old Larry Love has been accused by U.S. authorities of hacking into U.S. government networks between 2012 and 2013, including those of the Department of Defense, the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Energy, and NASA. In October 2013, the UK's equivalent of the FBI, the National Crime Agency, raided Love's home and seized his computers and hard drives. 
but some of those devices contained encrypted data, meaning the agency could not access it. Initially, the British authorities served Love with an order under Section 49 of the UK's Controversial Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act, which demanded he hand over his passwords and open encrypted files stored on the devices. He declined to comply with the National Crime Agency, and they did not push the issue. Love was not charged with offense under any British laws. However, when Love recently launched a civil case seeking the return of his computers and storage devices, the agency renewed its encryption demand and attempted to turn the civil proceedings around on him by using them as new means to get a judge to order Love to disclose his passwords and encryption keys. Investigators refused to return Love's computers and hard drives on the basis that they claimed the devices could contain files that he did not have legitimate ownership of, for instance, hacked files. The authorities stated that if Love wanted to get his devices back, he would first have to turn over his passwords and show what was contained on them. As The Intercept previously reported, civil liberties campaigners were alarmed by this development because it seemed to have been an effort to bypass the normal procedure under the Regulatory of Investigatory Powers Act, which includes safeguards against abuse. The campaigners feared that if successful, this case would set a new precedent that could have hard implications for journalists, activists, and others who need to guard confidential information, particularly making it easier in the future for British police and security agencies to gain access to or to seize and retain encrypted material. On Tuesday, at Westminster's Magistrate Court in London, Judge Nina Tempia ruled in Love's favor. Tempia said she was not persuaded by the National Crime Agency's argument that Love should be compelled to disclose his passwords and encryption keys to prove his ownership of the data. She also took a swipe at the agency's attempt to circumvent the Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act, which she described as the specific legislation that has been passed in order to deal with disclosure sought. Karen Toddler, or Todner, Love's attorney, welcomed the decision. The case raised an important issue in, of principle in relation to the right to respect for private life and the right to enjoyment of property and the use of the court's case management powers, Todner said in a statement. Ruling in the authorities' favor, she added, would have set a worrying precedent for future investigations of this nature and the protection of these important human rights. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, again, He's it's... really not doing anything the 12 and 13 year old hackers here aren't already doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and yeah, the, the only reason it's gone this far is, yeah, our government's trying to keep your government happy. I know. Because <laughs> otherwise no, it would have been dropped ages ago and they wouldn't be trying to find loopholes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is... yeah, again, an another case of, yeah, they pissed off the judge. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you really don't want to do that. Oh, and yeah, most of our judges are incredibly tech-savvy. Lots of them are on Twitter and Facebook and all sorts of places. So yeah, you don't want to try and <laughs> piss them off. You know, um, that's, so, that's so weird because here they kind of write on quill and parchment and... Um, oh, that's to do, that's to do with uh, certain aspects of law, though. Right, but I'm just saying, I mean, they have... They don't use messaging. They don't use computers, yeah. right? They don't use cell phones. So they have a regular old I say, it phone. Isn't, it isn't as dial. barbaric as it is kind of stupid. Oh, no, but, no. But this is how it is. It's it's because they're doing things in a very protected way. And the only way to do right. that is to write messages and pass messages back and forth. I mean, yes, it's actually... it sounds very school kid in the schoolroom. <laughs> that that's that's 
that's how the law works, basically. Well, I mean, honestly, that's the only way any information is safe anymore. The reason, the reason why the judges here are more open is, yeah, we review. <laughs> yeah, our judges review stuff much more regularly than yours do. Well, so when the Data Protection Act came in in the UK in the eighties, uh, judicial procedures were updated ah. to match the modern technology. Oh, okay, they haven't so done that like, in the United States. Yeah, yeah so stole it, it, writing everything down and passing notes rather than phoning each other. Um, well, yeah, no, they have. It's because that's a protected communication. You see, oh, of under, course, under the way the laws work, right? Where a phone yeah. call isn't in the US, <laughs> but in the UK. Judges yeah. can phone people, and it's a protected thing. If somebody, even the government, hacks in and then tries to use it in some way, they have broken the law. But that's not the case in the US. It's kind of stupid. Yeah. You, know, you don't protect your judges, therefore your judges behave in odd ways. <laughs> um, or, or something. Or they just behave in odd ways because they can. Oh, that, and you have lots of judges who aren't actually qualified as judges but they're well, judges we've, we've they talked about that bef yeah. we've talked about that before too a sheriff can appoint anybody to be a judge which yes. should terrify the shit out of you because whereas here yeah. you have to have been a, a can, lawyer for 20 years before the well, you. <laughs> anybody can be a judge somebody's cousin who was a cow knocker at the local yeah. slaughterhouse can be a judge tomorrow that should terrify you that that person is going to be in charge of one of your cases. That, um, that dates back to the early days of your country, though, when you expanded west, mm -hmm. and literally you did not have enough judges. So anyone that could talk, basically, <laughs> yeah, you can be a judge. Yeah. <laughs> we need a judge. You, you, you'll, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to bring up, and and I didn't, but. I like to give people helpful information, so um, here's, here's something. Anybody out there has an iPhone. Here's why lawyers suggest you stop using your finger to unlock your iPhone. You are protected against revealing passwords under the Fifth Amendment's right against self-incrimination, but your biometrics are not. Biometrics might be cool and convenient, but the technology could potentially undermine your legal rights under the Fifth Amendment which prohibits the government from compelling a witness to testify against herself. A court or police officer could legally compel you to press your finger onto your smartphone to unlock it, but if your phone was locked with a passcode, no one could legally compel you to open your phone, says William J. Cook, an attorney and partner at the law firm Reed Smith in Chicago, who specializes in information technology, privacy, and data security. Cook explains that the difference between a password and a biometric identifier is great under the law, you have a right not to reveal the contents of your mind, which includes things like a password, but your fingerprints are a part of who you are and you expose them to the public every day. This is why when a person gets arrested, they have to submit their fingerprints, but have a right to remain silent. Thoughts are protected. Biometric identifiers, fingerprints, face, or hair are not. Ever since Apple introduced the Touch ID in 2013, privacy law experts have been sounding the alarm about the way biometrics can whittle away your rights against self incrimination. The Fifth Amendment protects individuals against saying anything, testimony or statements that could incriminate themselves, says Paul Bond, who's also a partner at Reed Smith. While it protects information, it does not shield physical things in the world available for production. Making 
the key to your information, a physical key or a biometric identifier, is putting in the realm of the police power to produce. The unlocking of smartphones and computers has become a legal niche, but this niche will soon grow to become a big part of many cases, Cook says. The FBI uses search warrants based on probable cause, the Fourth Amendment, to compel companies like Apple to unlock phones belonging to alleged criminals to find evidence of crimes, but authorities are also gaining access to devices that use biometric identification systems, like Apple's Touch ID, by obtaining a search warrant to force people to press their finger onto a mobile phone, Cook says. Recently in Los Angeles, a federal judge signed a warrant to allow the FBI to force a 29-year-old woman to press her finger onto an iPad cops had seized from her boyfriend's home, an alleged gang member, the Los Angeles Times reported last week. This marked the first time a suspect had been forced to unlock an iPhone via Touch ID in a federal case. More criminal investigations will involve accessing personal devices like smartphones and biometric authentication technology is spreading to more devices. As even more employees download work-related information and data on their personal phones, these three factors are conspiring to make company data a potential casualty of biometric technology's legal protection problem, Bond says. If all it takes is a fingerprint swipe by an employee, at that point, the control of information is out of the hands of the company, Bond says. So, you know, use a password. Yeah, I mean... 15 digits, numbers only, are the hardest thing to crack. What, what, what I by... find rather amusing. Right. This whole fad for fingerprint scanners. And it is a fad. Right. The technology was on the original handheld computers, palm tops and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 15 years ago. But it never took off. Because people are like, oh, that's a pain in the ass. And it worked back then. It, the technology has not moved on greatly on fingerprint scanners. You'll be unsurprised to learn. <laughs> um, you know, laptops, really... laptop, top of the range laptops have had it for as long, you know. But are... but as soon as Apple brought it out, suddenly everybody's like, ooh, what a wonderful thing. Oh, <laughs> how, how lovely. It's and not like, really. Uh, no. I mean, you know, it's, it's really... It's been around a long time, didn't become right. popular until you idiots sure. decided to make it popular. Well, I know the pharmacies at work have that on the work computers. Yeah. So only certain people can touch them, but they misread shit all the time. Yeah. They misread you as being a different person. They'll open, they'll force the whole system closed, even though you're someone who's supposed to have access. It's ago, really terrible. A while ago over here, mm -hmm. they had they had politicians trying to tell banks, <laughs> oh, yeah, you should do away with the, the pin codes for <laughs> getting into ATMs and all that. Oh, you should have fingerprint scanners. And the banks were like, no, they're not secure. And, and funnily enough, the government, when the banks went, well, the, the the minimum secure biometric is a retinal scan. Funnily enough, yeah, the government didn't want to push that one. Because you know, the banks have spent a lot of money investigating this sort of shit. Right. And yeah, the the fingerprint scanners are not secure, so they didn't they, want to use they're, them. They're not secure and, and they're not terribly accurate, or at least the ones we have at our work aren't. So, you know, to me, that's kind of terrifying. I mean, yeah, people can make a case for the government can do what it wants, which it does. But that doesn't mean I have to make it easy for them. The harder I can make it for them, the better it is for me as a form of protest. Now, I can't stop them from doing what they're doing physically. I 
I can resist and get thrown in a cage for saying no. Um, or I can just make it fucking difficult for them all the way around. And I just vote for making it fucking difficult for them all the way around. Just because I'm contrary like that. Cool. Uh, as a quick aside, retinal yeah. scanners are now no longer secure. Of course not. No, it's it's just, it's it's the other new fad that's just coming in, the VR helmet thing. Right. Lots of people are exposing their eyes quite closely to very powerful scanning technology, mm-hmm. <laughs> which means hackers could nick your eye print. So yeah, retinal scanners are now so, no longer oh, secure. So I was actually reading a story, and it had one of my favorite movies is Johnny Mnemonic, right? And I've always kind of considered myself a low techer which is funny to me because we talk high technology every week and we give technical You do know that is an awful film. I love that movie. I do. And I I know you think it's a terrible film, but I I just, I love the premise of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a good enough idea, but done so badly. Well, right. But all these people who have these biometric, who have, like, not these biometric implants, but they have these brain implants, you know, people with MS and stuff, uh, people with depression, yeah, they were talking about hackers are now just starting to focus on those. So they'll be able to hack into your brain, which is kind of an uncomfortable proposition. Um, that's why I would have a problem with somebody putting a fucking chip in me. You know? the idea that somebody could be in there doing god knows what and Gen- i know genie chi- genie how is it having a chip in you genie yeah. <laughs> has wires and, no she has wires and, and oh no there'll be a chip and, in there controlling the um power output and everything oh well right but that's not the same as having it implanted in your brain that's a different that's a different computer altogether no, she she's 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 the 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 previous level tech, uh, <laughs> connected to her nervous system, but not connected fully to the nervous system. She's not fully wired yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't be able to carry data for her safely, Jeannie. Is that is that what I'm getting no, at? I'm sorry, <laughs> kidding. But yeah, I mean, it was a pretty inter- it was a pretty interesting article considering you know most people really don't like Johnny Mnemonic, the film which I thought was actually just, you're right. It's interesting in premise. It's, is terrible in scope because it doesn't have a really great actor attached to it. Yeah. The, the acting is not completely the awful. Part. The director should have had one of the cars dropped on him. Um, <laughs> although Dol- Dolph Lundgren's quite fun in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually rather liked Ice-T's part in that. And I loved the dolphin. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, yeah, the the original book is much more interesting. Yeah, all that, all all of those books. Apparently, you know, Gibson wasn't very happy with the film either. Probably not. His works are just interesting stuff. Well, um, most of it, them are ripoffs of Philip K. Dick. To be fair. True. Well, what I was going to say is William Gibson. A lot of his stuff um, has been done by BBC as iPlays. Yes. And they're in the public domain now, so it's pretty cool. If you don't really want to read a William Gibson book, you can just go, um, oh, God, what's a good site for that? There's a bunch of them. The Internet Archives, 
you can just type in Internet Archives and you can find a bunch of the BBC radio plays and those are pretty cool to listen to. And there's a lot of audiobooks there too, a lot of music. Uh, Internet Archives is really great. Um, I'll be sad when they go under. Uh, which, you know, everybody just faces rising business costs and they archive fucking everything. So. And they do it for free. So all that stuff is available to you just for a search. Um, does that feel like it's, it's, does that feel like it's it? Oh yeah. Well, we knew, I think we talked about that. The Israeli firm with helping the San Bernardino gunman cell phone thing. Yeah. You covered that a few weeks yep. ago, yeah. a couple of months yeah. ago, nearly now. And yeah. yeah, as I pointed out, yeah, you can, you can buy, dev you can buy devices for doing oh, it yeah. off the Shit. internet. Oh yeah. Did you, <laughs> it's not did you difficult. see, <laughs> did you see they've got, um, the government now has a thing and it's like laptop size and they can walk by you. And if you do anything with Gmail, they can hack it with this stuff. Yeah. They don't even have to touch it. They don't ever have to see your password. You just have to pass by this thing and this thing will decrypt everything you've got on Gmail, which yeah. is pretty fucked up. And I was like, I want one of those. How come only the government <laughs> can buy that? That shit's not fair. I need to call Albia and tell them to fix something up for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basic security, folks. You, with your smartphone, tablet, anything. Mm -hmm. Don't go around using random public Wi-Fi spots without any security turned on. Mm. There's a reason why Android phones have VPN built in. Yeah. Well... Not yeah. that VPN's a lot secure, but it's still more secure than not using it. Because yeah, that, that's that's uh, that's oh, a big thing they talk about in yeah. Europe. You want to hear something creepy? Public Wi-Fi. Yeah, want to hear something creepy? So every once in a while, the guns will go out at work, right? And that's what you scan all the barcodes with, and it gives you information on what's in stock and where it is in the store and all that stuff. Yeah. So the guns go down. So that means all of our our nodes in the store are down, or at least a bunch of them are down. So I call tech support. And the guy is tracking me, walking around with this gun. Go, go here, put me on hold, pick up this line here, da 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 da. da. Then he's like, uh, "Is your cell phone name, whatever?" I named my cell phone, and I said, "Yeah, that's kind of creepy." He's like, "Oh, <laughs> we can see everybody's cell phone and who locks them away and who's working and where they're working. We know what everybody's doing because they keep their cell phones on them." That's why we've never given you guys like the badges, like all the guys at the warehouse have to wear with the GPS. We know when you're working, when you're not. Yeah, That's well, like any, the any, creepiest conversation I'd ever had at work. Any job I've had in the age of mobile phones, I have never carried my phone at work. No. I have, but goes, I have... If, if, it's a, if it's a job where I have a locker, it goes in the locker. If not, I make other arrangements. But yeah, I don't. Right. Walk, when I'm at work, well, I don't walk about with a phone on me. Well, I do only because I've busted about fifteen watches on the shelves, you know. And I don't know. I feel kind of funny carrying a pocket watch. It just looks funny for a girl to have one. 
I don't know. Not that I don't like them. I love them. But it's just hard to find something like cute, feminine, and sturdy to wear when you're working in basically what amounts to a warehouse environment. Yeah. You know. Yeah, most, Trade-offs. Most, um, most supermar- supermarket workers I know that still wear wristwatches tend to wear things like G-Shocks and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you so have to. big armored phone uh, watches. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, I just carry it around for the time. It doesn't go on. You know what I mean? I don't turn it on. I don't connect it to the Wi-Fi. I just check my time on it. Yeah. That's all I do. Oh, yeah. Lots of people do that now. So. Yes, I've had people people comment to me, oh, I don't wear a watch anymore because I carry one in my pocket. <laughs> really? yeah. Yeah, very good, but it's less convenient. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I still own a wristwatch. I wish I owned one that would hold up to the rigors of my job. Mine would because it's an armored heavy duty one. Of course it would. It's also yeah. one of those radio controlled ones so it's always at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm yeah, not that I could be slightly OCD about timekeeping or anything. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know. I just, you know, they are. I'm not. I don't I'll work until it's done. And that is frowned upon. With the new time management systems that think anything can be done with the smallest amount of people in the shortest amount of time. Love computers. Love them. <laughs> so what does everybody think about what Wendy's is doing before we go? Does anybody think that has anything to do with everybody yelling about $15 an hour minimum? That's exactly what it had to do with. And anybody that thinks it isn't has been smoking crack. <laughs> You know, I worked for a really long time to make the amount of money I make now, and I don't make $15 an hour, but I make really good money for where I live, you know? Um, But it's still not $15 an hour, and it's really going to piss me off if somebody working at McDonald's in, in, you know, Seattle gets it, and I don't. That's that's going to... I'll tell you something weird, right? Minimum wage. If everybody, if minimum wage went up to $15 an hour all over the place, because it's going to have to. Mm-hmm. What's inflation going to be next year, Jan? All of a sudden, a gallon of milk is going to be eight fifty, like it is in Alaska, Hawaii, and everybody is going to go, oh, oh, I need more money because milk... <laughs> let, me put it, let me put it this way. Since inflation has started just measurably since the 2009 banking crisis, let's say, because inflation has gone up, and you see the use of what, what I like to call the grocery shrink ray, where your packages get smaller, but you pay the same amount for it. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? No coffee is a pound anymore. It's all 12 ounces, 10 ounces, even in the big containers, right? You used to get and, a five-pound can of coffee. Now they're three. Mm-hmm. Sure. All that sort of stuff. Bread went from, like, 89 cents a loaf to 3 and $4 here. Bread. I mean, just your basic fucking bread. Velveeta cheese, which isn't even real cheese, Jan. (laughs) Okay? Velveeta, which is not real cheese. Nobody on a planet thinks that Velveeta is real cheese. But, do you remember, I mean, it always said right on the box, Mm $2.99? If you, I mean, you were kind of great. It's like $7. $7.99 for for something that's not real fucking cheese? Might as well go get yourself a bag of shredded it'll taste a lot better and it'll be cheaper well, i'll tell you i'll tell you an interesting thing i noticed minimum wage right i mean we've had it in europe for ages 
Um, but the automated McDonald's stuff showed up in my local McDonald's. Since it has, there seems to be more stuff in there than there used to be. I'm kind of confused by that one. <laughs> it's funny. I'll tell you, with the computer system, they're like, oh, this is going to take no time at all for anybody to do anything. It's a minimum of, like, 80 hours a week for three people having to do this stuff, along with other stuff, to try and keep the computer from going fucking berserk <laughs> and sending in a ton of shit. It's, it's just fucking ridiculous. Whoever is feeding the computer computations on the other end needs to be shot because a computer is only as smart as what it's being told. Uh, I know well, it's yeah, being told. I have experience of something similar. Mm -hmm. um, the hotel chain I used to work for. Sure. Um, they brought in a guy to for energy efficiency because <laughs> they owned 40 hotels and they're like, we're spending an awful lot of money on utilities, basically. Mm -hmm. So they brought in this um, independent guy to... And he, he recommended, oh, well, you can install these computer-controlled heating systems <laughs> so you can more precisely control the heating in the different areas in the hotel, stuff like that. So the the guy came to set it up in our hotel, and I was mm -hmm. chatting away to him, and he had to borrow tools off me, which I found highly that's, worrying. Um, that that inspires confidence, it? Oh, I haven't <laughs> got such and such screwdriver. Yeah, hang on, I'll go get you one. Get you one. Um, but he installed <laughs> it, and then a couple of weeks later, obviously it takes a few weeks to bed the system in. Right. And uh, one day, the heating wasn't on, wouldn't come on. We'd keep trying to override it and tell it to come on and it kept shutting off so we got a hold of the guy and he's like oh yeah yeah that's me you don't need what? to have the put, put the heating on it's not cold where you are and we're like it's minus 24 <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's not it's it's um you don't think it's cold where the hell oh. is the temperature sensor that you're looking we, at we and yeah it climbing. was the one next to the hot water boiler that he was basing his estimate you on. You're like, you, you either need to stop using that sensor for your calculation, or you right. need to damn well move it. Because the temperature we, next to a giant container boiler. full of <laughs> boiling water is not the same as the air temperature. Sure. <laughs> I'll put it this way. Um, we have a guy, the, the company I work for has a guy who decides whether we can have the heat on or not. There are some days down here where it gets down to about 22 in the mornings. You know, and we've got frost, we've got ice, and it's freezing, and that fucker won't put the heat on. I would just like to go to his office and denut him. Oh, you see, yeah, because it's like a fucking morgue. The the expert we had, I, I told I told him on that this was the first occasion it had happened, but he got told straight. It's like if if you try and override our manual override again, I'm going to unplug your goddamn modem from your system. So you can't. <laughs> you can't do that. How are you going to stop me? You're, You're 200 here. miles away. I'm in the building. Yeah, yeah exactly. I also it's have just... wire cutters in case you try to do anything clever. You know. <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. It is. You know, I kind of, and with the Internet of Things, how many fails have those had? Those yeah. wired, censored, um, thermostats and stuff. Yeah. 
Complete fails. People I, have I th- lost their houses. I think it's the most amusing one is the, the Dyson vacuum cleaners that when when they're about to suffer a component failure or will dial Dyson and go, <laughs> Help! I'm about to die! Help! Help! <laughs> that is funny. kind of amusing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of good that they do it, but it's kind of disturbing that they don't let you know they call Dyson. That's fucking terrible. Well, it's an automated computer system. The, the, it doesn't matter. The, the the vacuum cleaner sends an email to Dyson, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of fucked up. I don't know. But yeah, other technology does weirder things. Some of these smart fridges are incredibly worrying. Well, yeah, the fact that it could get into your Gmail calendar and leak that shit out to the well, world is You get terrible. ones now that you can actually link up to your bank account on your <laughs> grocery shopping online no, company no, no. so that so that the fridge will automatically reorder milk when you're running low on milk and this kind of shit you're like eh, no no <laughs> no that's I a mean, really bad bad idea <laughs> you know that's almost as bad as getting the, a chip the fri- put in the your fridge has drunk so ordered 26 gallons of milk right. <laughs> and we remember that <laughs> do you remember that the people who got those chips implanted in their hands then have to open their doors or pay for lunch. Yeah. That, that's just... Uh, I love technology. I hate technology. And in the end, like a Luddite, it kind of fucking scares me. So. Well, I mean, um, one of the research... A lot of the research is done in the UK, weirdly. There's uh, one of the lead um, biotechnology guys. He had a microchip implanted in his arm back in the 90s and it wasn't actually hooked up to do anything but it was him just testing to make sure Mm -hmm. you know there weren't going to be any medical issues with having that because yeah a lot of the chemicals they use to make microchips not pleasant right uh, they're just they're just checking to make sure there weren't any long-term effects he's you know he's had it in his arm all this time right and they you goes in once a week and they check him Mm-hmm. Just to make sure he isn't getting some sort of weird poisoning from all the me- sure. heavy metals oh, used shit. in the yeah. chip production. Um, so that's a that's a weird guy. It's like <laughs> it doesn't even do anything. He's got a chip in his arm that doesn't do anything. That's even that's, that's even weirder than having one that does something. No, that's smarter than having one that does something. You know, because if something well, it's weird there to use are, yourself as a guinea there's pig. A couple anyway. of, there's a couple of people. Funnily enough, from California, right. who keep badgering all these biomechanists. Mm-hmm. It's like, we want to be the first cyborgs. We want to be the first cyborgs. No, you don't. Like, You're completely fit and healthy. Piss off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only, you know, all these people that, you know, the people are, they're getting this technology implanted tend to be people with disabilities. You know, you see the stories about people being able to see after being blind I, for their whole life. Do you know how long I had to fight to get my implant? I can't even imagine. I mean, it was... Oh, it was forever. And here's... And I, I don't think I've talked about this on your show. If I have, just tell me and I'll shut up because i got a starving kid here. Um, okay. But they were handing me medication like Tic Tacs that I wouldn't take because I have, I have um, addicts in my family Sure. and I was, was not going there. Um, 
But so needless to say, um, the insurance company um, never batted an eye about these prescriptions. When it came time for me to get my spinal cord stimulator implant, I was required to have sessions with a psychiatrist before they would do my implant. You know, like and I'm you like, know. what? What the fuck? I mean, I've got granted. I I have electrodes sewn to my spinal cord in my neck. I have a battery in my back. They got wires hooking the two together, so I look like a bomb on an X-ray. Um, <laughs> never have had a TSA issue over that spilled spilled liquid in my purse. They fucking patted me down over that shit. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I had to go have counseling counseling with a psychiatrist before that they would do this. And it was so that they could make me aware that this was a major medical procedure. Like, I didn't fucking know that when they said, oh, hey, we're going to go in and cut out all of the non-weight-bearing material in the C4 vertebrae or neck. And we have to sh- actually sew these to your spinal cord. And, you know, bitch, you're going to have a remote um, without a mute button, by the way, Paul asked. Um, it, was, it was a pain in the ass. The insurance company made it a pain in the ass for me to not have to have painkillers or as many prescription medications. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a funny. Fuck up. It's funny, and now they're passing these laws where like you can only have like, thirty days maximum. Uh, yeah, I don't even want to talk about that because they started this whole war on opiates, and I'm and I'm I'm really pissed about it. I have a very different view of it than than most people. Well, you know, my Facebook my, feed is constantly full of people going, we need to do something about these no, opiates. And I'm sitting here going, no, you need to shut the fuck up because there are a lot of people. that are a lot of people in a lot of pain. And you know, when you my, take my that away. dying. My yeah. uncle was fucking dying of lung cancer. Dying. Dying. Okay. They did not want to give him opiates because he might get addicted in the last fucking days of his life when he's drowning in the fluid in his own fucking lungs. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever inhaled water, but it's incredibly fucking painful. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. But with a lot of these people, what's going to happen is, you know, all of a sudden, um, these doctors are going to say, oh, well, you know, the law says I'm not allowed to give this to you anymore. Now, okay, we're talking about a prescription from a doctor who is monitoring your health care. You're under medical supervision. Let's take that away. And so these people are going to go to the street. And And like I said earlier in this show, they're going to start using heroin because heroin's a really good opioid for killing pain. And And it's cheap on the street and people fucking die. Exactly. Uh, it, That's you, what's going to happen is more people are going to die. It's going to, to kill To people. lighten the moods just slightly, <laughs> here's a good one for you. Right? Oh, I have a friend who is affectionately referred to in my group of friends. It's the oldest. You know, my first time I went to university, all that sort of age. Okay. He's, he's amusingly referred to as Lego Man. Uh, the reason he's Lego Man is because of the bone cancer. And slowly, obviously, it's eating away his bones, and they replace them with plastic. So Lego Man, right? Now he's still he's still alive now, and I 
I first met him in 1990. Okay. He's on opiates. Oh, is he on opiates? Of course he uh, is. He has 100% pure opium tablets. Sure. Now, the funny story. The... Mm-hmm. Well, there's several funny stories about it, but the amusing one. One of my other friends um, used to suffer from quite extreme migraines. Okay. But his father was a doctor, so he used to get painkillers. Right. But he ran out. And we're at a party at Lego Man's, basically. And he's like, oh, God, my head, blah, blah, blah. And right. Lego Man's like, oh, I've got painkillers. Do you want one? The guy's like, yeah. Didn't ask what it was. Oh, God. Yeah, it was an interesting three days for the guy who <laughs> hadn't had opium before. You know. Because <laughs> it was completely pure opium. So, yeah, it, the effects lasted a long time in some days sure who didn't they'd... have bone cancer. Well, I mean, you know, and here's the thing. It's like these fucking politicians and pharmacists, and pharmacists now, too. I mean, they, I don't know if I should talk about this, but we had pharmacists at my store, and they were, like, the only ones in our area who would get, um, what's the drug that all the junkies, methadone. They would get methadone for patients, and they were, like, the only independent pharmacy to, like, do that. Two of the pharmacists lost their jobs for filling prescriptions for people in chronic pain, people who were dying, people who were under care of the pain doctor in town. And they lost their jobs for that. And, you know, now we've got junkies running around. They can't get their methadone. You've got cancer patients in fucking pain. And these are people I know that I see and speak to on a daily basis. And the government doesn't give a fuck what it does as long as it looks like it's doing something but it's hurting people it's ridiculous yeah the more modern age i've got a i've got a friend who's got really severe uh structural issues with her spine uh yeah. she she has no yeah she's she's basically bone grinding on bone every yeah. joint in her back that's and unbelievably painful yeah, and there's no painkiller can actually stop it being painful. Um, I mean, she's on massive quantities of painkillers. Even right. spinal cord stimulators won't help. It's just sure, what I'm, if she moves, the only it hurts. Thing that works on right. bone pain. So, what she does instead, she took matters in her own hands. Well, she's a child to. of the she's a child of the sixties. Of course. So she's older than me, but yeah, she eats a lot of yogurt with. A certain herbal product in it just to take the edge off right marijuana is one of the things that works best for chronic pain and when they legalize it completely legalize it overdose deaths on heroin go down by about 35 percent and that's in each place where they've legalized all use of marijuana recreational and medicinal so what that's going to tell you is this stuff works on pain and makes it tolerable it's by no means pleasurable. It's by no means fun. Well, from from if her you're description, pain. It's like you're. It, you can still feel the pain, right? But it's like oh. you're. You, it's kind of been separated off to the side slightly. It, so you still it, know it's there, and you're aware of when it goes up sure. and down. But it's not causing you to stop being able to do stuff anymore. Exactly. You can sleep. 
You know what I mean? For a lot of people, that's a big thing because the pain will keep you awake. Jeannie knows this. I know this. My husband knows this. Both of my parents know this. There's like nobody I know who's not affected by some sort of chronic pain. I have bone spurs in my spine. They are digging in and literally wearing away the vertebrae that they're touching. That's incredibly painful. I have an incredibly physical job. And there's nothing that touches it. Nothing that they will give me touches it. And if they didn't drug test at my work, you can bet your ass I would be all over the legal or legal, illegal medical marijuana, non-medical marijuana, all over it. It would be all over me. It would be all in me um, just because it would be nice to sleep. Just sleep. Just more than an hour and a half without waking up in pain would be fucking nice. Doctors taking away from someone the ability to not feel pain is about the shittiest thing on earth. Yeah, I mean, there's been uh, court cases about it in the UK. Yeah. Um, I, th- I believe there was even a, doc- uh, a surgeon who got struck off for refusing pain treatment. So, yeah. It's different. It's different here. Yeah, we over here, by... over here, the pharmaceutical companies are still king, but less so. They can't be so blatant in the UK. Because um, um, that's 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 much like what happens in other subjects. Yeah, a mass driver of them wanting to get rid of all the opiates is the drug companies, because they all they have these nice new, art, artificially created chemicals that they want to use instead. Right, but you know what? I would rather grow and use my own plant, my own way, in my own home, without having to involve anybody else, and just get just enough relief to keep living. And the fact that they can do this to people with, you have... Laws coming from one end, laws coming from another end, laws coming from another end. And like you said, a lot of it's coming from the drug companies. But I, I think the 30-day only under a pain physician thing's really going to fuck them up. They're really not going to be able to sell stuff like they used to. Um, it's not going to work. I can't go. I used to go because I get migraines too. And I get the kind that I throw up for about three days. Um, I get auras and... What's really weird is um, I get synesthesia. Do you know what that is? Yes. Okay. You know what synesthesia is. Other people may not. I can taste colors. Um, words have a texture. Um, it's like all my brain wiring gets really crossed. So something's really fucked up in my brain. Um, but that's only when I get a migraine. And at that point, they have to give me like three shots. And one of them's a narcotic. I can't get that anymore. All I can get is a shot, shot to stop the vomiting. Yeah, I used to be able to get, um, if I had a migraine, because I get severe tunnel vision with mine, um, and mine would get mine got to the point where they were so severe they were paralyzing the entire right side of my body. They were bad. Um, and, I mean, I hit the ground. I couldn't talk. I couldn't anything. I mean, it, it is surreal um, to think something in your brain, and you don't ever listen to what you're saying. A lot of times you just talk. Your your ears are not registering what you're actually saying because you you know in your brain what you're telling your mouth to say. Right. And it was garbly gook coming out. 
Um, it was the most terrifying thing I've ever went through in my entire life. Um, but I used to be able to, they, somebody would take me to the doctor's office and the doctor's office would give me my injections and my husband would bring me home, carry me to bed. Um, and they couldn't do that anymore and would have to go to the emergency room. And then it got where if they had to give me the injections at the emergency room, they wouldn't discharge me anymore. I had to stay. Well, I mean, th this is fucking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It was it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, I didn't need to be in a hospital. No. I did. I didn't need to be there. It was no. it was insane. Mm -hmm. um, but now I have a friend. My friend Liz, who's in the chat right now, right. Um, got the Botox injections. Does that help? For her migraines, um, it's it's been it's been amazing for her. And when she first brought it up, I'm like, "Don't you dare get Botox <laughs> injections! Don't you understand? This shit comes from botulism. It's it's from botulism toxin. That's where Botox comes from. Don't be getting this shit." Mm -hmm. um, and she did. Um, and they they worked really well for her. Um, so okay. a for that. But yeah, I don't. It would take an awful lot of convincing for me. To let them inject botulism toxin into my head. Um, well, okay. Hey, have, Jamie, my Jamie. RSD, that's a side effect of my RSD meds, Jan. They, they help me prevent my migraines. I that's could never take Imitrex. Imitrex made my heart do really weird things like speed right up and stop and then start again. And yeah, all kinds of not fun stuff. Oh, you know what was bad for me? Cafragot was the worst drug on God's green earth they could have ever given me. That's, um, does people might not know the history beside, behind what Cafragot is, but everybody remembers the Salem witch trials, right? Mm -hmm. yes. They think that Cafragot, which is a byproduct of the mold on, that grows on rye, is mm -hmm. what precipitated that because it causes hallucinatory effects and, and a whole host of other brain side effects. It makes you, you suggestible want. and all sorts of interesting things. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't do well with that. That was a bad choice for me. Um, what I'm really good with is, you know, just those three shots. But now I take um, Feverfew. Um, I take Puracol, which is a purified extract with all the liver-killing enzymes taken out of it of another plant, and I take riboflavin. Um, we're all incredibly deficient in it, and it yes. works really well for your brain. It's a really good neuroprotective. Well, riboflavin is essential for uptake of vitamins as well. Yeah, I mean, you need it's it. It's what your body uses to for you deficient. to be able to absorb uh, sure. vitamins. So, yeah. Yeah, that's feverfew. Um, oh, God, I forget the name of the other herb, but like I said, it's called Puracol. If, if you search for it, you'll find it. See, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm kind of lucky because, yeah, I can get migraines, but mm -hmm. one, the cause was identified pretty early. Yeah. Because I'm lucky of that because, yeah, there, there is no way to stop one of my migraines when using pharmaceuticals. Oh yeah. Because of the way, because of what it is, it's mm -hmm. called it's. It's back to my eye surgery as a child. I have one eye that doesn't focus at all. Um, so it doesn't see properly, but it means it's always slightly more open than the other eye. 
So in bright sunlight, and only sunlight because it's full spectrum light, if I'm not wearing sunglasses, I'll get a migraine because one eye's taking in more light than the other eye and you get an imbalance in the nerves. Yeah. Gives you a migraine. And there ain't no way to stop stop it once it fires off. You just sure. gotta wait for it to wear off. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, they can't put they, oh. put they can't put electrical st stimulators and stuff like that in there. It's your optic nerve. Well, they, they, they don't want to put stuff in there. No, you know what's weird? Because, um, yeah, they already actually, damaged it once. That's why the yeah. eye doesn't focus. So, yeah. I've seen they actually have like a TENS unit for people with migraines. Now. Yeah, they put it on the back of your head and shock. No, you. it's yeah. not on the back of your head. It goes right around your whole eye area and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm the, like, yeah, I. No, don't that was the, the first generation really. one, was the full head. Yeah, I'm like, I discovered don't... it just needs to be on the back, a certain point on the back of the head. Well, there's two spots on the back of your neck. It'll actually cut, cut, not kill, but cut pretty much all the pain. If you have pretty bad back and shoulder pain, it'll pretty much cut that. So it's yeah, a little. Yeah, it's basically it's an EM pulse generator. Yeah, and those are those are actually really good for pain. And yeah, but nowhere's got them because they're hugely expensive. Oh yeah, they are. They're nine hundred dollars. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, it's just yeah. one one quick blast and. Instant yeah. migraine's gone. Sure. That's kind of cool. Except, yeah, because they're so expensive. Yeah, you can't no, exactly walk or... around with one. No, you know Waiting what I'm saying? Waiting to get a, oh, I've got a migraine. Pop this, on there's the, a pop woman who's yeah. made these beanies. And they have ice packs that you put in your freezer, and they fit inside the beanie so you can wear it on your head when you get a migraine. Yeah, the earlier, the, the reason why they just, this is brilliant, the reason why they, they figured out the EM pulse thing is back to an old, an old, um, most people think, thought it was a wives' tale. Right. I think I've told you about this before, putting the magnets yeah, you, on your temples. Earth magnet, yeah. if you get a headache. But yeah, because, yeah, but then, then they talk to physicists and they're like, yeah, the human brain's full of, my. Was when MRIs came about, they're like, yeah, the human brain is hugely full of magnetic fields because of all the electricity yeah. zipping about in it. So it makes sense. Yeah. And what the yep. EMP pulse does, it's kind of like it's the same thing that a defibrillator does for a heart. Right. It, you know, kicks it back into normal operation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Wow. Do you realize we're going to get kicked out? Oh, yeah. Nine minutes to go. Nine minutes and it's going to kick us off. <laughs> yeah, Bernie keeps knocking on the door. He must be hungry. You'll have he to is. Tell He's him starving. That. You'll have to tell him I'm really, really sorry, but... We had we had other stuff. Too. We had we had shiny moments after after the horribleness of the show. Oh, uh, since we're so close, um, Muppets advert. Muppets an advert. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a hell of a note to go out on, but uh, we're, we're allowed to go off every once in a while. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Have a nice night. We'll see you next week. Jeannie apologized to Bernie for me. <laughs>